Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Jimmy, I'm super fired up. I've noticed that you're, I think, wearing the same Chiefs shirt that you wore on Monday. So you said you could go 22 straight days. I think you faltered. Am I wrong? I've worn this one in the cycle since the wild card. I don't know if it's the shirt I wore on Monday. I'll do some <laughs> research in between the breaks and figure out if that is the case. I'm fired up today for a number of reasons. I'm fired up today because it's... The championship weekend, right? We will know in 72 hours who's going to be in the Super Bowl. That's cool. Gives us something to talk about. And they're two great games as well. Ah, One of them, I think most people are like, eh. People are excited about the Lions. Most people around here, Chiefs, Ravens, are like, eh. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. People here aren't excited about the Ravens. They're like, yeah, Lamar Jackson's cool, and Baltimore's got like a defense, but it's like, misty there and the field's usually kind of muddy looking and kansas city yeah they've been around you know i'm they're the warriors of the nfl yeah but at least jimmy's got like a t-shirt he's starting to duplicate here they people actually want kansas city to lose because they know that you can't go another week with new t-shirts every day right or they want to see if i can try maybe they're so enamored in that <laughs> it's battle. the challenge for yeah. you yeah But I am fired up about that. I'm fired up over the fact that last night, Pascal Siakam not only got a triple-double, but most importantly, and this is what we do on this show, okay? This is what we do on this program. We come up with ideas, and we try to do things for people in this town, right? Yes. I mean, my name is Jake Quarry. I'm a native of Indianapolis. I bleed the torch. Jimmy Cook, native of Indianapolis, attended Indiana University, the pride of Ron Colley. Eddie Garrison, native of Indianapolis, catcher for Decatur Central. That's what we do here is we try to intertwine the different, you got South Side covered, we got North Side covered, you name it, right? And we come up with ideas to bring together the people of Indianapolis like the following. Like the fact that I had said when Pascal Siakam became a member of the Indiana Pacers, and what is his nickname, Jimmy? Spicy P. Correct. And I said, you know what? And I just threw a name off the top of my head. Big Lug, because I do love Big Lug. And I love the Psalms, and I know Ed Psalm is is philanthropic, a, a guy as you're going to get from a restaurant industry, and Eddie, his son, runs Big Lug, and you know everything that they've got going on, half leader, all of it. Fabulous people, great, great place. But I said on the air, I just, I said, you know what, Big Lug? They should do a wing named after Pascal Siakam. They should come up with a spicy... My marketing brain is constantly moving, right? And I know sometimes for you guys, it probably gets old and tiresome trying to keep up with the nonstop direction grab of the wheel that I can do sometimes in terms of my brain where only I know which direction <laughs> You think going. we're still trying to keep up. That's cute. That's, that's funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know it's got to be a challenge. But... What happened yesterday right after we got off the air? What was the big announcement that was made? And I couldn't be more proud. I couldn't be more proud because yesterday we got off the air 
And very shortly after we got off the air, Big Lug Canteen up in Nora tweets the following. In honor of our newest pacer, we have a sweet and spicy new edition. Thanks for the idea, Jake Query. Who says Twitter can't be fun? Spicy P Wings. So I'm so excited that Big Lug followed my lead, knew about it, must listen to the program or have people that tell them to listen to the program. And they take my advice. They make the spicy pea wings fabulous. And then what happens? But last night I go to the Pacer game, track dude, Michael Young with me. And we watch Pascal Siakam kind of quietly. Jimmy, truth be told, record a triple double sixth of his career, by the way, more pub to big lug. Did you know, I didn't see this till now. I missed it yesterday that they also named a beer after him as well. Yes. He got the combo. The beer probably goes well with a spicy wing, right? I bet so. I bet it's a pairing. Big Lug knows what they're doing. They are I mean, chemists in the wing beer combo. Yeah, I'm sure that's there. A balance. You're right. They do know what they're doing, oh, right? Yeah. Now, last night, Pacer game against the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, a lot to discuss here. Number one, congratulations. And a great moment. Eddie's clapping. He doesn't even know what I'm about to congratulate. <laughs> I know. There's congratulations that were in order. Therefore, there is always that needs to be a clap. Thank you. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton named a starter for the Eastern Conference in the All-Star game. They played the video of the TNT crew announcing that on the video board. And then Tyrese Halliburton came out. It was during a timeout and waved to the crowd. Rick Carlisle looked up at him like with a twinkle in his eye. You could tell the pride there. He is a little trivia question for you guys. You ready? I can answer it. Jimmy's already... I could answer it because I saw the, the graphic digits. yesterday. I can as well if it's the same trivia question I think Jimmy thinks it is. And that is? How many Pacer players have been voted as an all-star, and if so, and how many, who? That was not the trivia question. Man. Oh, darn. Now I have no idea. Say it how you just said that again, Eddie. How many Pacers players have been named as a starter for the All-Star game. Okay, you changed it there. Yeah, that's how I so, meant yeah, to phrase it. Yeah, yeah, starter. Starter is the key. Correct. No, actually, I was going to say, how many players from Iowa State have been named a starter in the NBA All-Star game? Uno. I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I don't think Marcus Pfizer ever was a <laughs> starter. Fred Hoiberg was never a starter. Uh, there's probably a great Iowa State player that I'm overlooking. Maybe it's Ronnie Bayless out of Warren Central, who was a great left-handed player. Um, but... Uh, you are indeed correct. Tyrese Halliburton, the fourth Indiana Pacer to be named an Eastern Conference starter in the All-Star game. He joins the other three being Jimmy? Jermaine O'Neal, Paul George, Reggie Miller in no that particular is, order. There. That is correct. Uh, so congratulations to Tyrese Halliburton. Then during the game itself, it looked in the beginning. It looked in the beginning. Now, Paris Brown joins us in studio right now, who does the Martell Show, which is a podcast that you can listen to, and in his latest podcast, one of the first things he talked about was Joel Embiid's 70-point night, and it looked like Joel Embiid last night was going to give Paris even more to talk about, right? Because at one point, at one point, he scored on, I think, four straight possessions with like a pull-up jumper, and it is amazing. A guy of his size who just kind of lumbers down the floor but yet you're watching him, and I know he's listed at 6'11", maybe 7 foot. He looks like he's like 7 foot 4, 400 pounds. I mean, he is a massive human being. But when you watch him, and his, you know, I'm thinking to myself, he's bringing the ball up the floor. And then 
you know, doing a crossover and pulling up from 15 feet, and he has a really good touch. I'm not breaking any news here about Joel Embiid's game, obviously, but it is a difficult thing, you know, for which to contend. But Philadelphia, you know, w- was riding that horse, obviously, and I thought actually last night was the not, I'm not going to say the first time, Jimmy, but as good a time as I've seen at the Pacers protecting the rim for Joel Embiid and just being overly active, notably being overly active and attacking him on his way up and before he could get when I was when I played YMCA basketball, 1984, I was on the YMCA Jordan Y traveling team. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eddie. I appreciate the hand. And you know, I was the tallest kid on the team. Myself and Brian Smith were the two centers on the team. Dave Dunn was my coach. And I'll never forget, this has stuck with me forever, but I watched players like Tim Duncan and Joel Embiid. And Dave Dunn, because like all of us, when you grow up playing basketball, you grow up watching guards. And and at some point you are small enough that you are learning to handle and shoot the basketball. And you want to be a guard. You want to be a perimeter player. It's your natural tendency. And I was the tallest kid, but I thought I was a guard because I grew up watching, you know, Isaiah Thomas at Indiana and Jim Thomas was my favorite IU player and, you know, Randy Whitman on the baseline, et cetera. And Dave Dunn said to me, he goes, Jake, you're the shark with the meat in your hands. And yet, why are you putting it down low where all the minnows can come, come get a piece of it? Keep that piece of meat where no other fish can get it. It's a great line. And I've never forgotten that. And when you watch in the NBA, there are players that when they get – Tim Duncan was the best I've ever seen at it. The ball would go into Tim Duncan, and it never went below his shoulders. And Joel Embiid last night, one of the the beauties of Joel Embiid being able to put the ball on the floor and score on a pull-up jumper is the fact that he's that big and can do that is amazing. But when he would get close to the basket, he had a tendency to put that ball down again down where the minnows were. And if Andrew Nimhard or Buddy Heald or Benedict Mathern were not slapping it away, he still then has to raise the ball up. And it was at that point when the quick hands of Miles Turner and and you know Obi Toppin, whoever it might be, started to disrupt him and then forced him back outside to get to a lower percentage shot as opposed to where his comfort level should be, which is playing down on the low block, even though obviously he has a very good shooting touch. But they kind of negated him out of it, and then he... When he had the knee, you know, he went down and started holding his knee, and you thought, okay, is he going to be out? But by then, it just got to the point where once the Pacers got into a 15-20 point lead that was consistent, I think Philly just decided enough's enough, and Embiid and, and comes out, Indiana holds on, and then you look at the box score, Jimmy, and that's when you saw it and went, wow. Like, Pascal Siakam did have a triple-double, but it wasn't a visually dominating triple-double, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's not like... And of course, the magnitude of the moment matters, but it's not like a a playoff game triple-double or even like a dominant exert-your-will triple-double. It's doing all the right things within the flow of the game itself. The other thing that I think deserves recognition, aside from the fact that it's a near-complete performance from top to bottom, especially your starting five, is you go back to when Tyrese Halliburton goes down at Gambridge on January 8th, and then you have this road trip. And all we've been talking about is, yes, the defense appears to be getting better, but man, are we ever going to see this offensive barrage that started the year again? This is the most points that they have put up in a single game since Tyrese goes down. Again, they win that game against Boston when they lose him, but 
the conversation was where does the offense and defense still stay steady without Tyrese Halliburton? And then you make the trade for Pascal Siakam, and it's how long is it going to take him to get his footing? You mentioned it, Jake. It's like being a, a guest at somebody's house for the first time, and they say, oh, make yourself at home. How do you not intrude while also still performing to the level as to why they acquired you? That is what Siakam did yesterday in terms of just not a loud performance, but a performance that hit all the right notes, allowed everything else to kind of fall into place. And if you're Indiana, this is the type of building block game from not just Siakam, but the rest of their starters and role players that you hope, okay, yes, there's still big names on the schedule without Tyrese, but maybe you can get another win against, let's say, Phoenix this evening. Maybe you're able to stemmy the tide to where you don't need to rush your all-star back but you can still stay in striking difference, distance rather to the goals you want to hit in terms of a playoff push. I thought, um, again, I, I think that was a much-needed win for Indiana, Jimmy, for exactly what you're talking about. In addition to that, just you kind of got into a situation where coming off of the road trip, you, you make the change, you have Halliburton out. It felt like there are, and I'm not saying that, that last night cured this automatically, right. but I think that there is the thought process or the perception from people that well here we go you know we had a fun year and everything looked good and then Halliburton goes out and misses a few games and they go out west and they kind of get their clock cleaned and they come back and then Philly beats them they saw this movie last back to life back to reality that's exactly right that's exactly right I know that you're not wearing chief shoes today what happened (laughs) I didn't wear chief shoes yesterday do you only wear the chief shoes on Mondays victory Monday I've started to just on purpose because of the uh, affinity you've had with the Chief Monday shoes, but no, that's not why I purchased them. And, and I thought since it's the AFC Championship weekend that that you would get the pass to wear the wedding ring for the whole weekend. I don't need that, Jake. Game day's enough for me. <laughs> when Okay, when you wear the Chief's wedding band sure. on game days, how long after the game do you switch back? Whenever I get home. So it's just during the game. Well, I shouldn't say that because you came to work wearing it, right? Right, I on did. A- on a Thursday game. Best decision of my life, when, one might when say. When you take the, wed- the the wedding ring off and you put on your Chiefs wedding ring, where does the wedding ring go? So we have a, like, there's a, I don't know what you call it, a, it's not a jewelry drawer, but in the bathroom, Haley keeps all of her rings, I keep all, like, my normal wedding ring, and then we have a bunch of just regular silicone wedding bands like this. So it doesn't just, like, go on some random dresser. It you doesn't have its own shadow box with <laughs> a light and a hologram or not. whatever? It does not, believe it or not. If they win on Sunday, maybe we can... Uh, Get an, get an expense out there for a uh, nice holographic stand for it. Uh, if you grew up in Indianapolis during the time period that I did, or if you were a young adult during the time period of which I grew up in Indianapolis, something happened today, some news was made that I will freely admit, I will freely admit probably esoterically appeals to my demographic and maybe older. But I think even younger people that were not around when this phenomenon took place can appreciate it. Every city has an athlete or a team or a culture or a lore that is unique to that city. And people outside that city would be surprised by it. I've discussed this phenomenon before. Like if you were to name, give me a... City off the top of your head, Jimmy Cook, that has professional sports. Chicago. Chicago. 
So if you were to name Chicago, everyone knows that Michael Jordan and Frank Thomas and Ryan Sandberg and Walter Payton are the toasts of Chicago. But there's always some player that jumps out that is a bigger like name within the city than is known outside of it. Like Steve McMichael is probably a legend in Chicago, but nobody like when they talk about great Bears players, if you are from Tucson, Arizona, does his name jump out? Or like a Dan Hampton. When I was in St. Louis, I've told the story before. I mean, you have great Cardinals players like Ozzie Smith and Bob Gibson and, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Stan Musial, obviously. Albert Pujols. Willie McGee was a beloved figure in St. Louis. And in Indianapolis, there is a guy. Do we have the audio, Eddie, of the intro, the the at-bat intro that I sent you earlier? If you went to Bush Stadium, and keep in mind, we're turning back the clock here, and I want everybody to sit back and close your eyes because there's a magic of yesteryear in sports. You mean I'm not in apartment B3 looking at Bush Stadium right now? That's not where we're going That's with right. This? The, the 16th Street Stadium <laughs> yeah. lofts, right? Yes. Bush Stadium, which at one time was Perry Field, then it was Victory Field, and then Bush Stadium. You know, you had the Mr. Dan's hot dogs out in center field. You had traffic going past on 16th Street. You had that big muffler fella that let you know that you were within sight of the stadium. And you'd go to a game at Victory Field or Bush Stadium, as it was known during my childhood. And there was a magic to it because we didn't have the Indianapolis Colts. And yes, you had the Pacers, but they were the wintertime team. And certainly coming off of the ABA days for the first 12 years in the NBA were pretty subpar. And the Indians, for the most part, were affiliated with the Cincinnati Reds. And then during this player's era, the Montreal Expos, but they had great years. And we took kind of a pride in the fact in central Indiana that they won several consecutive American Association championships. And they had one guy who, there were two things that jump out at me and the ambiance as we are closing our eyes, everybody, and we are going back to 1984, 85. And we're watching the building of the Hoosier Dome and there's rumor that they're going to bring a bunch of guys down there with air pumps and they're going to inflate the Teflon of it and you can sit and watch for a four-hour span on Capitol Street. And... We are excited about the fact that eventually the Baltimore Colts are going to come here and Mayor Hudnut's going to walk out with Bob Ursay and raise hands at midfield and everybody's going to go crazy. And we just got done two years ago with the National Sports Festival and we're excited because there's rumor that in like a handful of years the Pan American Games are going to take place here in Indianapolis. And we just watched Danny Sullivan spin to win and that was exciting in May and everybody was excited. But now we're going to go and watch an Indianapolis Indians game at Bush Stadium, and there's going to be one guy doing vending. And when I do this, like 40% of you are going to know what I mean. The guy that would walk around going, come bear, come bear, come bear. That guy was there forever. If you went to those games, you were like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about. If you didn't, you're like, what is this guy talking about? And then it's time for the Indianapolis Indians to come to at bat, and you hear this 
come out over the loudspeakers. Coming to the plate for your Indians, third baseman, number three, Razor Shines. And people went crazy. And Razor Shines was the heart of Indianapolis, and people loved him. And he got a few call-ups with the Montreal Expos and was probably like a Mendoza line player and then would come back to Indianapolis and would be praised as a hero because he had a big smile and a great first name and he was, you know, a guy that and he signed autographs for kids and Razor Shines was that guy in Indianapolis. He was that guy that people outside of here would be like, wait, he's a legend and yes, in Indianapolis he is. And his name's Razor, right? It's not Ricky Shines. It's not Rob Shines. It's Razor. And Razor Shines yesterday found out that he will be the first player in the 121-year history of the Indianapolis Indians to have his number retired. Jackie Robinson, of course, as is the case for all franchises in baseball, has his number retired by the Indians. But Razor Shines had his number retired or will have it retired at the end of this upcoming baseball season. And when I heard the news, I was super jacked and I was super fired up and I immediately thought, wait a minute, I've, I've done a radio interview with him before, and I tracked down Razor Shine's phone number and called him up and said, you don't know me from Adam, but I do a radio show, and I want to have fun with you at 1.30 today. And he said, let's do it. Let's do it. So Razor Shines is going to come on at 1.30 today and reminisce with us about the glory days of the Indianapolis Indians at Bush Stadium on 16th Street. They have obviously a fabulous facility now. Um but we're going to do that at 1.30 today, and I'm fired up for it. Kevin Bowen joins us 1 o'clock today. Jeff Schwartz talk a little NFL at 2 o'clock. And then, Eddie Garrison, am I correct in saying that you have dipped into your Rolodex for a number of different markets, and we are going to, again, do our two-minute drill. Is that right? That's right. What markets are we thinking about today? Well, we're going to try and hit all the markets that are coming up on Sunday for the NFL playoffs. Okay, so wait a minute. So that means, do we have somebody in San Francisco that we're going to call? Unfortunately, ghost crickets on that front. Again. Okay, nothing in the Bay Area. Is it? No, we we got the Bay Area dialed up, didn't we? Oh, Jimmy, wait, don't you know hold on, hold on, let me check. Uh, uh, hold yes, on, I do, check. actually. Yeah, 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 we got somebody. Okay, Last so minute, you did get somebody that's yeah. going to join us uh, in yes, Frisco? I did, okay. yeah. yeah. So uh, do you think they eat Frisco melts there in San Francisco? Are Frisco melts still a thing? Well, they were at Steak and Shake. My buddy Matt Jacklin would get it every time we went, uh, along with the Chili 3-Way. But, but my buddy Mike Byron told me the Frisco melt at Steak and Shake is very high in calories. It, yeah. So he 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 backed away from. Do you mean something at Steak and Shake has high calories? <laughs> no, it's stunning, isn't it? What? Okay, so we've got San Francisco covered. Where else are we going to try to venture? Uh, let's go to Baltimore. Let's see. Okay, if the... so we can get crab cakes in Baltimore. Yeah, right? yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Okay, um, let's go to the Windy City. You know, the NFL Ooh. draft coming up. A lot of speculation. What are they Chi-town? doing with Justin Fields? What's yeah. the dish of Shy Town? Little little deep dish Lou Malnati's pizza. Yes, Is that right? that's got to be. Yeah. Okay, and then where else? What about going up north to Detroit? Ooh. Detroit Rock City, baby. I don't know what the Detroit has their own style of pizza, also, right? Pizza, they do. pizza. Little Caesars is there, right? That yes. is correct. But then they also have um, Atwater Brewing. I have a hat from Atwater Brewing. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should put that on when we go to Detroit, and we do a little. So, the, so we're going to do the two minute drill today as well, right? That's right. Now, how does Chicago get to play with the rest of those? By the way, it's Chicago. They get to play with everyone. But what about Kansas City? Are we going to skip over some some? No, we can't. We're not skipping on barbecue. You serious? No. We can't we're, skip Kansas City. City. Come on. So we got Kansas City here. in the mix as well, right? Yeah. So four plus Chicago. That this is, is Chicago's only chance to be associated with the championship level games in the NFL, right? As for now, yeah. The Quarry and Company two minute drill. That's what we do here. We try to appease it all. 
Uh, so we have a big show lined up for you today. Again, just to recap, Kevin Bowling going to join us at 1 o'clock today. Razor Shines at 1.30. Jeff Schwartz, 2 o'clock, talk a little NFL, and then the two-minute drill at 2.30. We also have, Eddie, am I correct in saying, a little bowling to continue to give away, right? That is right. We've got a two-hour bowling pass for Royal Pin and Woodland, plus we'll get two tickets to go see the U.S. Open. That'll be televised for the Professional Bowlers Association nice. on Fox Sports 1. So there's a chance hey, you can be on TV. Speaking of which, congratulations again in order. Greg Poley, did you see that? How about Greg Poley, man? Greg Poley, the pride of Buffalo, New York, and Taylor University, okay, who now lives in Indianapolis. Greg's a great dude. He and his wife, Julie, who's a teacher, their son, Owen, and Olivia, their two kids, not the Olivia that's dating Eddie, but uh, Olivia, not Olivia, but Owen is a freshman over at Indiana State. Greg Poley, who is uh, just a great dude all the way around, Wesley's Landscaping, the pride company for Greg Poley, posted yesterday on Facebook and kind of understated, right? I'm just rolling Facebook. No big deal. Just bowled another 300. And he says, like, man, it felt good to do this again, but I bowled a 300 for the second time, apparently, right? Just a humble brag. I mean, honestly, like, how many people have bowled? Like, don't you get, like, your own ring if you bowl a 300? I, I get thrilled when I bowl higher than a 150. No doubt. I mean, I remember I asked Jimmy, Jimmy, what's your high in bowling? I don't know, somewhere around 112. That seems very specific for an estimated high. Last time I hesitated on an answer, you reminded me the show ends at three. So I just wanted to be efficient, okay? <laughs> I guess. So, Greg Poley, man, how about it? 300. A 300 game in bowling for Greg Poley. We don't even know if that's actually factual. And then I felt bad because he posted the, the video score up there. And his other buddy, some guy he was bowling with, had like a 168. I'm like, man, that's rough, right? He probably had a solid game. No, 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 no. It he, said he had a 320, didn't it? It said he had 310. And my guess is there was a handicap if it was like league night or something. And he did that. Impressive, man. Hey, no, the guy that, what do you say the other guy bowled? 168. No, no, no. He had a front row seat to greatness, okay? It doesn't, doesn't matter how he, <laughs> right. he had a front row seat. Well, the problem is, like, think about it. If you're that guy, every single time you get up there, you're following a strike, and you're like, good Lord, man. Like, you know, the pressure's either on or off. I don't know which way you'd look at it. Uh, last night, we'll take a bigger look at it at Gamebridge Fieldhouse in terms of what the Pacers were able to do. And then again, Kevin Bone going to join us 1 o'clock today. Loaded show on a Friday. Thanks for joining us here. You are in the company on Querying Company, 93.5, The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Tell you something. Eddie Garrison is getting it done right here. You're saying he's in his bag today? On this nostalgic day with razor shines coming up at 1 30 this video eddie grant who was a music producer and put together a lot of great music over the course of the 80s but that was his probably his biggest hit but I, literally it was like in the early advent of mtv somebody came to eddie grant and they're like listen i know you've been like producing a lot of reggae music and do a lot of different stuff but uh, we're just going to do a music video of you like falling down on the beach and then we're going to do some really weird special effects thing to make it look like like some old in color film and he's like all right cool and we'll just call it electric avenue and i can't tell you that and i'm not saying that i ever did this but at the age in which kids were tempted to have like street signs in their bedroom 
I always thought it'd be cool to find one, an electric avenue sign. Matter of fact, they used to sell, like at, at Union Station back in the day, you could buy any of like 20 different, you know, they had gift shops of all kinds of different places, and you could buy like a, you know, Waveland Avenue sign or probably a 17th Street sign with Assembly Hall on it or whatever. I don't, I can't believe nobody ever made an electric avenue sign. Would have, I, I'd have bought one in a heartbeat. Um, kind of felt like, uh, Offensively, last night the uh, the Pacers were on Electric Avenue, Jake. They in did. a lot of ways. Excellent segue. Um, and you're right because you know, I thought about this as the game was going on, and I thought about a point that JMV's been making. And by the way, JMV will have Frank Vogel, the Phoenix Suns head coach, on the program today. Suns and Pacers uh, taking place tonight at the Fieldhouse, and of course, Frank Vogel, former Pacers head coach, who's done very well for himself. Uh, really nice guy. Got his introduction to the basketball world when he went on David Letterman as a 12-year-old and spun a basketball on a toothbrush while brushing <laughs> his teeth, which was pretty cool. So he will be on with JMV today. And, you know, he's made a lot, JMV has, about the fact that the Pacers' magic number is 110. Like, they got to score 110 points to win a game. And last night it was going for him, Jimmy. And, and without Halliburton facilitating, and I thought one of the things that they did really well is they had – a number of different players, aside from just Pascal Siakam, they were very balanced, I guess, in their distribution offensively. Yeah, you get everybody in the starting five in double figures. Obi Toppin has 13 off the bench. He and Benedict Matherin make a great impact within that second quarter. It's the first game of Siakam's arrival here. I know it's a small sample size, and you mentioned it earlier. You can't bank on the fact that, okay, this is definitively a turning point. They figure it all out. There's going to be no bumps in the road with Siakam now being an Indiana Pacer, but it's the first game all year against relevant competition in this Siakam post-trade world where if you looked at him in this offense, you would think to yourself, wait, they just acquired him? He hasn't been a Pacer all season? Like They didn't look lost. It looked like everybody understood where they were supposed to be playing off one another, and there was less hesitation from Pascal in terms of trying to not step on anybody's toes or not affect the flow of things. And it's also a super promising sign that you're able to not just hit JMV's mark, which I think is a, a critical point. Anytime you see them get over 110 and you get to the 115-120 territory, they're exceptional. They get north of 130, they're near unbeatable. And again, that that's not sustainable for the postseason necessarily, but when you're trying to just stack wins in the regular season... It's a fantastic number to have with Siakam in the offense. The other thing, Jake, we mentioned this a little bit yesterday, and I might be overthinking it here. You can tell me if I am. I hate trying to get a victory on the second night of a back-to-back when you've dropped one, especially if you would have dropped that one last night when Philadelphia had that late rally. Now, again, you're not playing with house money, but it's nice to already have a W in your pocket when you welcome in Kevin Durant and the Suns for the second time in playing them the second time in a couple nights, but the second night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Did you notice who was starting to get... And, and we talked about it yesterday, so I can't say that this happened quietly. But have you seen who is getting his turn in the rotation? And probably statistically, box score-wise, doesn't necessarily jump out at you where you're like, oh, wow. But, it's, but the minutes are starting to increase, and, and I think it's important because... It's allowing and facilitating for other players to keep just a little bit more fresh on back-to-backs. I would say Ben Shepard. Correct. Ben Shepard last night, now he was 0 for 2 from three-point range. You know, he scored a bucket. But he 
defends well. He is somebody that can that keeps the ball moving. I mean, he's got pretty good ability to rotate. 15 minutes last night. Uh, Jake, why why are you caring about a guy getting 15 minutes? Well, because those 15 minutes are minutes that, say, a Benedict Matherin or even a Nemhart don't necessarily always need to be on the floor. Neesmith, you know, he's spelling different guys. I'd have to look at the actual rotation of who he's in with. But he is allowing and facilitating for some other guys to to not have to log serious minutes. And he didn't, you know, we have to go back and watch it fully about like if there were defensive lapses or like how much he needs to improve there, but important area, at least from looking at the minutes compared to the rest of his stats last night, didn't turn the ball over during that time, right? Wasn't a detriment, at least in that aspect of the offense, even though he only has two points on the board. Two three nine ten seventy is the telephone number. I'm going to begin with Fred joining us on the program. Fred, how are you? I'm good, Jake. How you doing, my guy? Uh, you know what? I've got. It's a Friday, Fred. Right? Yes, sir. So Matt, you know what? I'm just going to start calling it the rest of the day. It's it's Freddy Friday. How's that? <laughs> hey, anything with the name Fred in it is great. <laughs> I like that. What's on your mind, man? Man, I want to talk about Andrew Nemhard, Jake. I mean, man, we give so much credit to Halliburton, which is you know warranted, man. He's turned this franchise around. But we know what Nemhard brings to the table on the defensive end of the court. But his all-around floor game yesterday was just outstanding to me, man. I sit there and just watched how many times he took it to the bucket. He couldn't stop, man. Couldn't be stopped. And 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 the feeds he made off of it when he penetrated. I just wanted to hear somebody talk about him, man, personally. He was missed when he's out. You know, and when he's in the game, man, he makes a difference. You know, here's the thing about him, Fred, that I love. There's the thing I love the most about Ender Nimhard. And and I'll tell you the one area that I have of concern for him. And I don't think this is going to be the case because this guy appears to be the consummate pro. But man, Fred, I'll be honest with you. It almost feels like when you think about the fact that he was drafted as a second rounder and immediately they saw what they had and so they locked him into a contract. He's already grossly underpaid for what he brings to the table. And if if I'm Andrew Nimhard, I you know, I would totally understand if at some point he's like trying to get some sort of a renegotiation or because I mean what they're asking him to do, that dude is I, I totally, Fred, I could not agree with you more. Now, he does have the difference between Nimhard and obviously Tyrese Halliburton would be this, and that is an is the fact that Nimhard has a – I don't know how to word this. Nimhard does have nights where it just isn't really going for him. And when that happens, I think he has a – he is not as dynamic in other areas to mask or make up for on nights where he just – I mean, every player is entitled to an off night. And in Nimhard's case, there are times where he goes out and you can tell like he just – if he is off that night – he doesn't necessarily have like the the playmaking ability in totality at the level of a Halliburton to make up for if there's a night where, for example, he's not shooting the ball well. But but, and that's if I was being forced to find a, a nitpick about his game, Fred. I am in agreement with you in the following about Andrew Nimhard. He hits difficult shots. He is 
He has a mid-range game, which is a lost art in today's NBA. He has a body control at his size that is unique and allows him to play bigger than he is. He's listed as a point guard, but he almost feels more like a small point power forward, as odd as that sounds, because he's not like a super fast off the dribble guy, but he is extremely smart in putting himself in position where like his body and lower body strength allows him to excel. He can hit an open three with a very unorthodox looking shot. But Jimmy, the thing that I most love about Andrew Nimhard, the thing I most love about the guy is if I kidnapped you, okay? If I kidnapped you in the middle of the night, I come in, I, I put like a pillowcase, like something out of the movie, right? Over your head. I kidnap you and I drive you out. And I'm like, I'm going to hold you for ransom. Unless you can do the following and answer it correctly. Well, I'm not calling Andrew Nemhard based on his contract. That's the wrong guy to, <laughs> the wrong right. guy to hold, That's right. hold me for ransom Good for. point. But I'm holding you at ransom and I go, but here's the thing. I'm going to play for you a video of a timeout of Andrew Nimhard coming off the floor, and I need you to tell me whether it's a pl- whether it's coming off a play where he just did something exceptional to seal a game for Indiana or whether he just blew an assignment and sealed the game for the other team. Based on his body language, you have to answer that question. You would be in a world of hurt. Yes, I would. Because this guy's emotion never changes. And I actually love that. I said yesterday, and somebody blew me a ton of grief over it, understandably, when I was singing the praises of Derek McKee. But Derek McKee, when he was on the floor as a player, was always one aspirin from a coma. And never, in that game against the Orlando Magic, when Rick Smith hit the shot that allowed Indiana to win, Derek McKee made a flawless entry pass to Rick Smith. Market Square Arena, 17,900, going absolutely bonkers. NBC carrying the game. It's Racers and Pacers weekend. The city's at a fever pitch, playoffs, and he he makes that. He is totally unflappable, and he makes the perfect pass because in the tension of the building, Derek McKee was totally impervious to it. And Andrew Nimhart is the same way, and that's what I most love, Fred, about Andrew Nimhart's game. That guy is cool as can be, and he comes in, and it doesn't matter whether you're asking him to get a key defensive stop or you're asking him to play a half of nothing but his defensive role, or you need him to come in and be your primary scorer, which he did in L.A. last year and hits a game winner. If you're needing him to facilitate, which he did last night with Tyrese Halliburton out of the game and having to come in and and kind of run their offense for them, he is totally capable of doing that. You know, he moves the ball around. He gets eight eight assists. Pascal Siakam got 10 of them, but um, love him. Uh, yeah, I think he's an, an – and when you have a guy like that that is not a huge, cal- uh, a huge salary cap hit for you, but you know when his number's called is going to come out and deliver for you, invaluable. This conversation, or at least my point that I want to make, is still months away from being fully relevant because we're fast-forwarding to a time when the Pacers are in the playoffs. But Andrew Nemhard is a prime example, and there's multiple Pacers you could go to with this, of why their bench is so deadly and why oftentimes, especially if you're trying to close a talent gap, like let's say you're up against a Boston or Milwaukee, like you know you're going to match pound for pound when you have your 
superstars out there, when you have Tyrese Halliburton, when you have Miles Turner on, when you have Pascal Siakam, but it's how you win the minutes when either your guys, if your best are off the floor, or how Boston's best, for example, are off the floor. And benches don't always push you to the next round. They don't always push you necessarily to a championship. But boy, the, can they be invaluable if you're trying to steal gaps of rest or if you're trying to close a run when another team's stars go to the bench. And I get it, maybe that seems like an obvious point to some extent, but it's overlooked at times in roster construction how valuable a great bench unit can be. And it's magnified by Andrew Nemhard, Aaron Neesmith, regardless who you want to point to, guys that might not be direct starters, and I know Neesmith is, but direct starters when you have a team at full health, that you can see them and lean on them, not in postseason moments, but in regular season moments when you have an injury bug pop up and you're just trying to stay afloat. They're not just staying afloat right now. They're having a signature win yet again against Philadelphia 76ers. It's a tall ask, but you're going to ask them to do it again against an opponent you were right there with just five nights ago in Phoenix. Jonah, speaking of Phoenix, Jonah, what's up? Hey, your insulator is here for duty, sir. <laughs> now, Jonah, I always forget, for those that are unfamiliar, Jonah, longtime uh, listener of this program, amongst others, obviously JMV as well, and I think back to, to Derek and I on another place, but you lived in Arizona with, with your daughter. Am I right in that, Jonah? That is correct. And yes. then, and now you're moving, you're a native of Indianapolis, so you're moving back to Indiana, but you are in the process of the move. And every time you call in, I think you're actually in Oklahoma because I can't figure out. I just know you're halfway between the two, right? Uh, yeah, I'm in Arizona, Oklahoma. <laughs> I've been, I've only driven through there. Yeah, I, I, it was, I was speaking metaphorically. But yes. So yeah, you, know, oh, you are, gotcha. you are where right now? Uh, I'm in Scottsdale right okay. now. Okay. All right. Your thoughts on the Pacers taking on the Phoenix Suns tonight? Oh, I, I, I went to the game on Sunday, and I, I like. I, I even said, if their starters will outplay our starters, they're probably going to win because they don't really have a bench. But Booker, Beal, and Durant all went off for what, like almost 100 points. And tonight, I like to see the Pacers contain them a little bit more. And make you know the the Jokic Nurkic or the Gordons or the Kid Bates Diop guys beat you instead of the big three. And with last night's game, I liked how Turner kept Joel Embiid in front of him the entire time, taking tough jumpers, and he's going to get his points. But you even mentioned it with Nimhard and uh, Shepard. If Embiid's going to get his points. But the big thing was keeping Maxi, and I know he didn't play, but Tobias Harris in check, and that's what the Pacers did last night. And in a game that the Pacers didn't even expect to win by a lot of Pacers fan standards, it was good to actually see them blow out the Sixers last night to save a lot of minutes. Well, that's the big thing, Jonah. A little bit of a run. For sure, keeping them fresh it was the key, and I appreciate it. I, and look, great point about Embiid and the way that they guarded him. Um, I thought, and I think Neesmith probably in particular is going to be important tonight because you're going to have to put somebody... Look, Durant's... You know what Durant's going to do. Just like you knew what Embiid's going to do. But Jimmy, if you go back to the other night in Phoenix, it was Beal that made big plays for them down the stretch. And that's a it's a three-headed monster to an extent, but I do think that Beal and limiting what he can do on the wing is going to be important for them. Yeah, I mean, they are built 
the same way we've seen losses pop up for the Pacers when they have against there's three stars that if they take over a game like Jonah highlighted, it's going to be hard to overcome it. If one of them slip up, that's where you have the advantage in your bench unit. And the biggest thing from a frustration standpoint for the Pacers, it's unfair when you're trying to chug along and figure out this lineup, figure out the rotation. When you've just recently acquired Pascal Siakam, you would think that they would have performed worse on the road in Phoenix than they did with it being like one of the last games of that road trip, or in fact, the last game of that road trip. But they didn't. They had opportunities late. They take a lead late at one point in time. It was just too much to overcome. There is a sense that, yeah, you let Kevin Durant get his and take everything else away, or at least try to limit it, that that's not a bad recipe. The problem is you have to execute the recipe. If Beal still goes off, you were really asking a lot out of this Pacers unit on any night, let alone on the second half of a back-to-back. What's your specialty recipe, by the way, Jimmy? Is I, there any... A buffalo chicken chili mac. Really? Is my, is my, that, my that, go-to That was dish. like your bullying answer. I know, because I, I don't cook a ton at home, but buffalo I do. Buffalo chili? Buffalo chicken chili mac. So okay. it's, it's, uh, it's like mac noodles, uh, chili sauce, some buffalo sauce as well. Wait, uh, why are you spewing cheese. all this if it's a secret? It's not a secret <laughs> recipe. I thought you just said recipe. I didn't know it was a secret. I don't have a secret recipe. Eddie, what's your what's your go to recipe? He didn't see. He didn't say secret recipe. He said go to <laughs> recipe. I just said recipe. Then it's like, well, actually, he I didn't for two and a half with minutes. It. Eddie, what's yours? <laughs> I don't have one really. I, I have never cooked a meal wow. in my life. Wow. Judging from afar across the board, Will you bring you us in Monday recipe? some of your secret <sighs> buffalo chili mac. Not Monday, but at some point in the next couple is it, weeks, is I will. It, uh, low in fat calories, or is it loaded up? No, it's a it's a it's a hearty meal. Okay, uh, Mike, two three nine ten seventy. Mike joins us. What's Macho up, Mike? Mike. Macho, Macho Mike. Mike. Macho Mike, yeah. man, how thrilled are you to? And by the way, Mike, I just had a conversation about you yesterday. I was uh, my buddy Darren King at Stewart Tire on the South oh, Side, great good. dude. And he said, "Oh man, Macho Mike was just in." Mike and I said, "Oh man, tell him I said hey." Right. Do me a favor. Say hi, Angel. Angel, what's up? Angel's Mike's kitty, by the way. I'll go to her tail for you. Uh, I love that. I'm not pressuring, but when you get time, send me a copy of those pictures. I will. You know what? I apologize, Mike. I need to get those to you. No biggie. Oh, one other quick thing. Guess who the halftime show is at uh, Ron Colley High School tonight? Macho Mike. Yep. Yes. I was at the the city tournament on uh, Monday. Mike, listen, we need to get you to do a YMCA for the fact that Razor Shines is coming on the program at 130, because I know that's got to be close to your heart. Oh, can I call in at one thirty? And can you? Well, Razor's going to be on, Mike. We're going to have the phone lines full. Do me a favor. I will. I'm. This is important. Okay. Stay in memory, Teresa, me and Angel, bless him and his wife. I will, Mike. I will do that, and I'll tell you what, Mike. I always say this about Macho Mike Sullivan, the YMCA Macho Mike. Many people know him as the. Uh, usher out at Victory Field and Bush Stadium that would do the YMCA on top of the dugouts. But when Mike and his late wife, Teresa, when I was a student broadcaster, Adam Alexander, who now does NASCAR on on Fox, um, we were student broadcasters at North Central High School in 1991, and we did, for WJEL, we did games at Hinkle, and Mike and his wife, Teresa, ran the stats and it was all like radio guys like like you guys today, right, that were professional radio broadcasters. And then Adam and I, just a couple of high school kids, trying to cut our teeth. And I will never forget that Mike and his wife, Teresa, when they ran those stats, the feeling that I had in the fact that they treated us just like we were the other professional broadcasters. And I'm like, well, we're just student broadcasters from North Central. And we're just doing this. Like we, we, we ended up doing the games all the way through, even though North Central got beat. 
they credentialed us to go all the way up through the semi-state. And Adam and I, that was the biggest thrill in the world. And I can still capture and feel within me the excitement and the prestige and the honor that I felt that someone like Mike and his wife Teresa in doing those stats treated us like professionals and treated us like equivalents, even though we weren't. We clearly weren't. And I've always been grateful for it. And Mike, absolutely, we will let Razor Shines know uh, that you are happy of his honor of having his number retired. He's going to join us at 1.30 today. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Kevin Bowen going to join us about 1 o'clock. I I wanted to quickly address, by the way, and I meant to do this earlier, so my apologies that I did not. Uh, I don't know if I'd say elephant in the room. But in the last, and I've seen it a couple of different places, um, I thought it had been out for a few days. I certainly know at least two days ago I saw it on WTHR. I think the Indy Star got it yesterday. Um, but the 911 call has been released from the Jim Ursay home in Carmel from December the 8th. And, you know, it's a lengthy call. And in order to get records of that, media outlets have to go through what's called the, I, I think it's called the Freedom of Information Act, where you basically submit a request and then eventually records can be turned over uh, to media outlets. And that 911 call, you know, probably in different intervals, different media outlets were being, it was being released to them. But, and this is going to sound, and I hope this makes sense, and people feel free, I will fall on the sword if you want to tell me that this sounds lame or whatever. Um, we have a responsibility, journalistically speaking, to inform people of news as we are able to confirm it professionally and uh, confirm it responsibly and it is true that this radio station obviously has a professional affiliate ship and and relationship with the indianapolis colts and i believe i know for that matter that the colts are understanding of that relationship but also not restrictive of us being able to opine or give commentary about the franchise the organization the football team as we see fit I am being 100% serious in saying I have never been instructed by the Indianapolis Colts or this station to limit what we discuss or talk about um, because I think there's an understanding that we have that professional obligation and that we understand that responsibility. So in no way have, have we been instructed or edited in any way, shape, or form in the things that we say. The thing that I would say about that 911 call is the following, and that is, I think in this city, it is not a big city. I mean, we are, but we're not. Um, You know, there are a million different rumors, forecasts, et cetera, regarding the health of Jim Irsay. And the truth probably is somewhere in, in the middle of all of that. We are all from a journalistic standpoint, aware of the different things, and that information will probably be reported as it has been, as things can be confirmed. And until then, you go with the the confirmed standpoint of what the Colts share. 
the 911 call, I, I will simply say, when I heard it, the I felt, obviously you feel bad for Jim Irsay because Jim Irsay, by all accounts, from everyone that I've met, I mean, look, when I had a heart attack, I came home and there was like Cypress Gardens sitting on my doorstep when I got out of the hospital with a card that said, like, get well soon, Jim Irsay and the Indianapolis Colts. I, I thought it was a, a very kind gesture. I realize it probably was... Maybe not Jim or say himself, but still, you know, it was it was very much appreciated, and it was on par and on brand with Ursay and the Colts, just in terms of his philanthropic nature. I'm not here to try to carry that water, but simply to say this: I did feel bad in listening to that 911 call. I felt very bad for Pete Ward. Pete Ward has been a a loyal and strong and professional lieutenant to Jim Ursay since he came from Baltimore with the franchise. His he is a very bright individual, which allowed him to work his way up now to basically being the the chief commander of the franchise underneath Jim Ursay. But at the same time, in his loyalty to Mr. Ursay as his boss, he has to have a loyalty to Jim Ursay, his friend. And in that moment, having to go over to someone's house at 4.30 in the morning on the phone with 911, not knowing the situation, knowing simply that it's dire and that medical help is needed, I thought from a humanitarian standpoint – the compassionate thing in listening to it was to offer for any of us, not just me, uh, the appreciation and the support and the example of Pete Ward of not just professionally, but also personally dealing with a difficult situation for his boss, but also his friend. And I felt for Pete Ward in that situation. And not that anybody asked my thoughts on the 911 call, but I would assume people listening to a sports talk host in a city where an NFL owner had a 911 call released are probably curious of what the thoughts are. And so, therefore, those are mine. And I certainly hope the best for all involved. Kevin Bowen is next. Life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. It is one o'clock on a Friday. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other voice you hear on this program. Eddie Garrison flies the controls for us. It is Query and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And we get set for AFC and NFC Championship Weekend. Joining us now, you hear him in the mornings on this radio station, along with Andy Sweeney for the wake-up call with KB and Andy. The KB stands for Kevin Bowen, who joins us on the show. And uh, Kevin, I'll begin with this. I, I had just mentioned, and I simply want to give you as somebody who is probably the Colts' assigned beat writer, if you will, for this station – um, when the Indianapolis Star yesterday released the Jim Mersey 911 call, I had heard it elsewhere. I think different media outlets are getting access to that from depending on when they had requested said audio at different intervals. So it's been out there for a couple of different places, truth be told, over the last couple of days. And I simply was saying, Kevin, I don't know if you heard it. You know, I I truly did feel bad for Pete Ward because – in that situation, we're talking about someone who is a very kind man, but not only his boss, professionally speaking, having to go and assist in that situation, but somebody that's a friend of his, obviously, over the years as well. And that was the thing that I took away from it. I, I know that 
all of us are aware of the situation with Jim Irsay and hoping for the best. But until that there is confirmed concrete updates on him, I simply think the most responsible thing to do is to say that, yes, we are aware of the different innuendos, but that the Colts still, their latest update is that he is still dealing with a respiratory infection and that your thoughts are with all of it. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add to that, but being somebody that covers the franchise, I thought I'd give you the opportunity. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with pretty much with everything you said. I guess right there. Um, I mean, the call was. I mean, it, it's, it's certainly eerie to hear Pete's voice, and you know, Pete is a very calm individual to begin with. Um, you know, I was struck by how calm he was throughout. You know, all eight minutes, nine minutes of the call. Um, you know, obviously the fact that he's having to leave his re- residence at whatever three a.m., four a.m on that you know, Friday morning is just pretty crazy in itself. And uh, clearly the Ursa family and, you know, views him as, I mean, he, he's pretty much a brother, a son, however you want to describe it. I know his last name is not Ursa, but he pretty much is with the responsibility that they've given him. And he's probably earned, frankly, since they moved here in 1984. And, and, you know, it, you know, part of me was kind of listening to the call and thinking, you know, what, why wouldn't the nurse just call? You know, nine one one. But obviously, you know, maybe she's been given instructions or whatever to let let Pete handle that. And that's kind of how that that organization works. So again, Pete Ward has got responsibility you know, right up there with with Ursay. And um, yeah, just hearing his voice and you know, hearing him describe the scene and you know, explaining to where police officers should go once they get into the property and all of that. There was a bit of eeriness to it. Uh, clearly, he felt. You know, I, I, good enough isn't the right phrase, but, you know, clearly felt comfortable enough that, you know, Jim would be able to be fine until um, until the cops and the paramedics got there. But, yeah, it was um, it was certainly eerie listening to it all. And uh, Pete Ward is is a guy like Rick Fusen, who retired earlier this week or announced his retirement. Um, those are two names that aren't Simon and Ursa in this market, but they have met a whole, whole lot to those respective franchises. My mic? That, okay, there we go. Sorry, Kevin. Uh, another guy within the franchise, very high up, obviously, Chris Ballard. I thought you had an interesting column uh, and wanted you to be able to share with those that might not have seen it yet. Just kind of an overall assessment that you've done so far to the Chris Ballard era to this point. Yeah, it's an annual thing I do um, pretty much late January every year where you get a couple weeks into the offseason and I like to go back and you know, pretty much look at Ballard um, with that given season and then around uh, now seven years he's been at GM. And then same thing at head coach. Obviously, Frank Reich had been the guy for the past few years, but, you know, I'll, I'll post a Shane Steichen one early next week. And, you know, you, you lay out the good, you lay out the bad, you know, call it the wins, call it the losses, call it the to-be-determined with it. And, you know, I do think it's important to point out a couple of Ballard wins that I think certainly have transpired over the last 12 months. Um, one was, a, I, I think, taking a big, big swing uh, at quarterback. And now for the first time in January, uh, unlike the conversation either you or I have had or certainly have had with other people in recent years, I have not felt this good about the franchise in quite a while because you know, stopgap and Band-Aid QB doesn't get you very far. It certainly doesn't create anything for you long term. Um, so I think that is an important step that they took in that direction. And then, you know, we've we've talked about it the premium positions and the lack of answers at those spots, the lack of finding those guys uh, in his tenure. I do think they found one at left tackle. 
I think Bernard Ryman is that. I think he's shown enough in two years to make me believe that. I think it's a very Anthony Casanza-like start to his career. And, you know, Ryman strikes as a guy while, you know, he was a bit of an older rookie. Um, he can give you a, a really steady presence over at left tackle, you know, for the next X amount of years. So I, I do think those are a couple of wins you got to point out. But then certainly the losses and the to-be-determined stuff are there. Um, you know, he's invested gobs and gobs of draft picks defensively, and we're talking about a defense that's ranked – you know, 28th in scoring each of the last two years. Um, the youth movement in the secondary, while he took blame for that a few weeks ago, you know, he, he didn't point this out, but I will point it out. The only reason why he felt it acceptable that the youth movement could be allowed is because, you know, largely his tenure has not gone according to plan. It failed might be too harsh of a term, but certainly hasn't gone well from a results standpoint through the first five years. That's why the Colts rebuilt you know, last year went down that path. And then lastly, just the January January results, really just kind of the hardcore facts. You know, the record is what, 54, 60 and one, I think it is. You know, I think everybody pretty much knows these numbers, the two playoff appearances in seven years, the one playoff win, the zero division titles. Uh, so yeah, it, it's an annual article that I do lay it out. Uh, it's on 1075thefan.com. And uh, it is certainly drawing a lot of, uh, a lot of clicks, which I appreciate. The fan's own Kevin Bowen is our guest. You can hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy, of course, as he alludes to there, his great work covering the Colts on 1075thefan.com. KB, when you look at Chris Ballard and, and in that piece highlighting the last seven years and then turning the clocks back forward to this year's outgoing or potentially outgoing free agent class led by Michael Pittman Jr., Kenny Moore, Grover Stewart, Julian Blackman, is this the most difficult free agent class to manage in terms of pieces that might be outgoing and budgeting what you don't want to lose versus what you do want to lose in the Chris Ballard era? Yeah, I think that's a really accurate statement. Um, I think it's, yeah, the most difficult. I mean, certainly you got north of 70 million. So, you know, in a, in a way you have a hefty pool of cap space available to work with, but in terms of, in-house guys that you like that are going to garner, I think, pretty decent interest on the open market. Yeah, I, I mean, this is easily the best group of players that I think, you know, are, are hitting free agency here in a month and a half. And obviously, we'll see how the next six weeks play out. But basically, basically I kind of labeled it like this, Jimmy. Um, you can stand on a table for guys, and then you can stand on a chair for guys. And I, I assume, you know, the table's higher than the chair, if you want to continue with that analogy. I think standing on the table um, would be the big four. And in some order, it's Michael Pittman Jr., it's Grover Stewart, it's Kenny Moore, and it's Julian Blackman. You know, stand on the table, and, you know, I can certainly hear debates for all of these guys, but, you know, Gardner Minshew and Zach Moss and Taekwon Lewis and Rigoberto Sanchez – and all four of them have been varying degrees of contributors for you, you know, for multiple years or, you know, more so in Minshew and Moss's case, just really kind of one year. Um, so you think about those eight names, and again, they're in two different categories. If you start re-signing a chunk of them, close to all of them, that's going to eat up a lot of your $70 million. So that's what the Colts are going to have to decide. They're probably going to have to make some decisions in-house on, do you try and restructure some deals for Ryan Kelly or Braden Smith? Do you is Mo Ali Cox have a future here? Um, you know, tight end and, and and how much money he's make uh, he is making right now. I, I think that's a question that you have to ask. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say easily, um, and, and really, it's based off just how quality of players are hitting the open market. That's why I think it's so difficult because money you got ton, tons of it, but 
there's so many of them that I think you should like and should look into bringing back. That's what makes it difficult. Kevin, when you look at – Kevin Bowen is our guest here on Query and Company. When you look at the teams that are left standing, okay, and they're standing on a table at this point, I guess, right, because they're all solidly here in championship weekend, is there a – would you say that there's a definitive blueprint on what gets you to this point just in terms of the style of play of these four teams – you know, is it dangerous to get caught up in what other franchises are doing? And is Indianapolis, when you look at it, trying to go buy some sort of a mold, or are they just simply going in their own way of what they think works and trying to build themselves to that point? Yeah, I don't know if there's just like a blanket boom, here's the quality for all four of the teams. Um, you know, I. I think if you look at the NFC teams, you know, certainly in the quarterback play, you wouldn't call them like, you know, whatever, generational QBs by any means. I do think weapons are abound. Uh, you know, San Francisco's got multiple Hall of Famers or potential Hall of Famers on that offense, uh, specifically at the skill positions. In Detroit, if you look at it, they have invested big time into you know, drafting a running back in the top 15 last year, you know, taking Jameson Williams top 10, um, you know, taking Sam Laporte in the draft last year as a really high pick for a tight end, um, basically saying, all right, Jared Goff, we will make sure that a la Brock Purdy a little bit, you know, you've got a pretty stock covered, you know, just in your manage, whenever you use the word manager to describe a quarterback, it comes off negatively, but just kind of manage that operation and let guys, you know, show off their individual talents. Um, on the flip side, I, I think it's very fair to say you've got two just very generational quarterbacks in the homes and Lamar. So, yes, I mean, defensively, a lot of these teams are sound, in particular the two AFC teams. Um, so, yeah, to answer it, I, I don't know if there's just one kind of blanket thing, but um, I don't think there's also just an obvious, here's the cookie cutter to, you know, have great success. You can have success in different ways. I think there are some, you know, one or two areas that need to be really, really good, and that's the common theme with a lot of these teams. And it is probably quarterback play more than anything. But at the same time, I do think you have the different built teams here, you know, in the Final Four. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You can find all his work on 1075thefan.com. Of course, hear him weekday, 7, 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kev, does the idea of trying to complement Anthony Richardson with additional talent and the hope of taking, I guess, the Jaguars approach like they did in the second season with Lawrence of surrounding him with talent – how much of that is, if at all, complicated with the relations of to tag or not to tag Michael Pittman Jr. versus getting an extension done with him while also realizing, well, you could go in the draft or you have, as you highlighted earlier, plenty of cap space to go splurge on another potential weapon. Where is that balancing act as you're mapping out the next couple of months when the offseason really gets going for the Colts? Yeah, I mean, I, I've long said that Pittman to me is just a no-brainer to bring back just because I, I don't think anyone has presented an alternative that makes any sort of sense for me. Um, I mean, unless you're, I don't know, somehow trading for Justin Jefferson and doing it in a relatively manageable way. I, I, I just have no idea how you continue to support Anthony Richardson, do it at a decent level, um, and and not have Pittman a part of those plans because again I don't I don't know I don't view Calvin Ridley I don't necessarily view 
T. Higgins necessarily is greatly improving that if those guys even hit free agency, which is a huge if. Um, you know, again, part of me looks at it and thinks, you know, certainly even if you bring back Pittman Jr., you still need to go out and do something of significance there. And I think that's where you get into the draft, and, and that's where, you know, ultimately you're going to have to find some rookie contract impact. You know, when you look at this year's draft class, you know, injuries certainly stunted the first two picks, but you know, you're going to need some Josh Downs type of guys on the horizon. Um, I mean, Jake knows this more than anybody. I mean, obviously, Peyton and Edge was a huge, huge part of everything, and Marvin Harrison and Tariq Glenn were in place. But if you don't draft Dwight Franey, if you don't draft Reggie Wayne, if you don't draft Dallas Clark, if you don't find Robert Mathis in the fifth round, you don't have the greatest era uh, in NFL history like you did. So subsequent drafts have got to be there. Um, you know, Frank Reich made the playoffs in his first year. Chuck Pagano made the playoffs in his first year. You didn't sustain at that level because you didn't draft well and you didn't continue to keep the covered stock in years after that, among other things. Um, so when I look at Pittman, yeah, he, he's an important piece to bring back. Uh, he can't be the end-all, be-all of it. There, there needs to be more. And, you know, honestly, the draft is going to be a big, big part of it, even though that is the unknown because you just don't know, you know, who those guys are going to be. You know, come April and in future drafts beyond. Do you get there's a sense of a certain archetype of wide receiver they would most want or covet in this year's draft, whether it's a deep threat, whether it's an additional possession guy, whether it's somebody that can operate in the slot? Is there one piece where you look at it and say, well, if they could find this type of guy, that would really benefit Anthony Richardson, both short-term and long-term? Good question. Um, you know, this time last year, to me, the answer was obvious. It was that slot guy. You know, I think you and I have had this conversation before, Jimmy. I thought you know, Chris Ballard had kind of fallen too much into the power forwards and centers in his wideout room. And it's like, well, you know, at some point you need a point guard. At some point you need a little shooting guard. And, and that's, I think, what Josh Downs is. Now, again, Debo Samuel is a very rare, rare player. But that type of player, I think, should be kind of the goal. And by that, I mean this. Here's the ball. You go make a play with it. You know, can you go get us 10 yards after a little eight yard completion? Can you break a tackle and make a play like that? You know, I'm, at times, I think Pittman and Downs especially um, showed they can do it, but the key word there is at times. I, I don't think they're necessarily consistent elite guys in that area. So that would be, and they come in all different shapes and sizes, to be fair. Um, you know, Debo Samuel is not necessarily the exact mold from a stature standpoint that, you know, uh, a lot of people would fall in love with at wide out. Um, so again, I, I think it's somebody that can play make with the ball in their hands. Um, you know, again, the cookie cutter aspect, I, I don't think it's like an obvious uh, you know, height, weight, speed sort of standpoint. Um, a lot of it's just, you know, pretty innate ability to, to, you know, withstand contact and, you know, great lateral quickness and, and things like that. Again, Alec Pierce, I don't, he, he, to me, is just strictly a vertical guy. He, he doesn't really bring that to the table. So, yeah, that would be the avenue that I would look into. Kevin, you think the roster's good enough at this point and where they're drafting where, you know, every team, Kevin Bowen, our guest, every team says this, it always cracks me up. Well, you know, we just go with uh, – we, we the board went exactly as we thought in the draft, and, you know, we just went with uh, the guy that we thought was the best player. Are, are they truly at the situation now – where their roster is strong enough across the board where they can simply go best player available, let's say, after round one? Or do they still specifically have areas that they're like, all else gets pushed aside and we got to narrow in here? 
No, and, and I would probably say that for every team, but certainly the Colts are not one of those teams. And, and you know, to agree with you there, Jake, yeah, I couldn't agree more. If, the best, if QB is the best guy on the board when you get to 15, you can draft a quarterback. You know, if, if running back is the best position on the board or the best player on the board come the 15th overall pick, you're going to draft a running back? No. So I've always viewed it as what are your needs? How do you tier the needs if you've got three positions that are on tier one, which I think in a way you could look at the Colts and say, all right, pass catcher, you know, edge rusher, and cornerback. You know, I think you could slot all those maybe on one tier. Then uh, as long as it's close, I, I would certainly, you know, draft one of those positions. And I think a lot of things go into it. Okay, where's the depth in this draft class? If you don't have a big separation over wide receiver three on your board and defensive end two, but you have a huge separation in defense, you label defensive end four as a fifth round pick, whereas wide receiver four, you label him as like the 23rd pick, then go ahead and draft the DN there and rely on the draft depth to find a wide out. And when we bring up guys like Devo Samuel or Terry McLaurin or you know, DK Metcalf. Those are all guys that were drafted outside of round one there. So, uh, yeah, I I don't think the Colts have a roster that is in a position for that. And I do think you need to draft off of, you know, marrying the best positional need and best player available, marry the best and uh, pick away. Kevin, if it was Brock Bowers there at 15, Jake and I had this discussion earlier in the week and I'm with him to some extent on Maybe it feels like they have an idea of what they'd like to see out of Will Mallory, and maybe they they like that group and there's so much more pressing needs, they don't go that way. But if it was a guy like Brock Bowers, that would seem like to fit, in theory, as he develops, the Dallas Goddard mold of a do-it-all, set-it-and-forget-it type of tight end that you would like to have in a Shane Steichen offense. So let's just narrow it down specifically. If Brock Bowers was there at 15... Does he fit the category in your mind of, well, yeah, he's probably best available and let's take him, or, well, we have some other guys we might want to see still what we have and there's more important needs on our board? To me, he's too unique, and it's pass catcher and it's direct support to Richardson. So I would go ahead and feel comfortable, totally comfortable taking him there. Um, I understand some people would probably disagree with that. You know, I think tight end is really interesting how Ballard views it. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think Ballard mentioned that position at all in his press conference a couple weeks ago. And when you look at it, Ballard has actually invested a decent amount into tight ends, like draft-wise. Um, I mean, he drafted Jelani Woods in round three. He drafted Kylan Granson in round four, even round five and six, and Will Mallory and Drew Ogletree. If you look at tight ends, I mean, hell, look at the tight ends playing this weekend. I mean, you know this, Jimmy. Where was Kelsey drafted? Round three. Uh, where was George Kittle drafted? Round five. You know, Mark Andrews was round three. Um, so, you know, a lot of those guys, I know Sam Laporta was early in round two, but, you know, a lot of these high-level tight ends, you know, you can find them in other areas of the draft. So, again, how Ballard views tight end, like big picture, is interesting to me because, you know, if you do want to save a handful of million and cut ties with Mo Alley-Cox and then, you know, if Drew Ogletree's legal process plays out to where he's no longer here, now all of a sudden you go into next year and your three tight ends are Jelani Woods coming off the, the – you know, missing the entire season – and, you know, Kylan Granson and Will Mallory. And, and Granson is not really kind of that, you know, obvious big basketball player, tight end body type there. So, again, tight end's an interesting one to me. But, uh, yes, because it's Richardson, because it's a pass catcher, uh, because he dominated the SEC at a very, very high level, I'd be totally comfortable taking Bowers there.
Kevin Bowen, our guest. Um, Kevin, I got to know your son that predicted NFL game. What is what was his final record for your son's predictions of Colts games? Um, for they nine and eight. I think he was twelve and five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. twelve and five. Uh-huh. So, so if he fared better. Him, three games ahead of the team, then, right? Correct. And if you bet ten dollars and and just money lined it all year long with his picks, you would have made. I, I believe I added up. I think it was about fifty one or fifty two dollars. Wow. Okay. Um, now the other question is this: Will he do this for the conference championship matchups? Um, no, but he did get an uh, inquiry from that LS, that former LSU wideout. He wanted to know if he could hear some of his picks to to, um, to tap into some of the gambling that that he has done. Uh, I thought I was just going to wait until the Super Bowl, but you know what? If I get really bored this weekend, I'm now looking at these helmets here. I, I should probably uh, I should probably see if I can drum up. Interest. I mean, some of these helmets he's never seen. I mean, Lions and 49ers, he's got no idea. So that Lions um, helmet's yeah, pretty gonna... sweet, man. I, I mean, if he's the Lions have great helmets, right? What? Uh, how would you rank the helmets? I know this is right. I mean, this couldn't be more of a Jake question. Okay. But how would you How would you rank the final four helmets? Thank you. Lions would be number one. Sorry, Jimmy. You got the silver. <laughs> now the Lions, when they had Bubbles, the Lion that looked like he was playing with Bubbles before they added the ferocious Griffin-looking Lion. But I still say Lions number one because I love the silver. Um. I do like the Raven. I'm not going to lie, and I like the the, the 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 black look to it. But the mm-hmm. Niners are so classic. So Niners two, Ravens three, and Chiefs four. Your thoughts? Are, are you crinkling up a bag uh, of Doritos in the background? I'm, well, no, I'm scrambling through the helmet bag. All right, I got. Oh, I got Sorry you. about that. Okay. I, I was hoping that the mic wouldn't wouldn't pick that up. Um, yeah, I got all four. I'm looking at all four right now. Boy, these are some good looking helmets. I know. You know you, you, Jimmy, when the Chiefs play, I feel like you know it's outdoors, it's dirty. You don't just get a good, clean-looking Chiefs helmet. That's a beautiful. It is a good helmet, helmet for sure. I mean, the Chiefs are on the short it. end here just because of who they're up against. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go 49ers. I love the. I just love that gold look. Um, yeah, I'll go 49ers one, Lions two, Ravens three, and and Jimmy. I'll I'll, I'll round it out with with your Chiefs. Yeah, uh, Lions, Chiefs, Niners, Ravens. Lions are number Jimmy, one for you. Like, yeah, Lions yeah. number one. Yeah, I really like the the silver and blue. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, Jimmy, I am. Uh, I'm very confident in the Ravens this weekend. Very confident, you, like like confident enough to to lay four. Confident as in their four point favorites to bring us back into degeneracy. Has it ri- risen up to four? Yes. Really. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I am. I mean, not that you care, not that you should. I mean, yeah, I'm not Max Bowen here. Not that you should, you know, have any care in it. But <laughs> I don't know. I just I I don't like the injury report for your Chiefs. I don't like. Uh, I think Baltimore's getting healthy. I, I don't want to act like Kansas City's like incredibly hurt. But um, and I just think the Whiteouts can't do what they did in Buffalo for a second straight week. That's a fair thought uh, to not waste the listeners' time. They have not the Ravens defense have not played a quarterback like Mahomes all year. And I would contend outside of maybe the Browns, this is the best secondary they've faced all year. So I think it's going to be a great game. Well, that was a shot at Gardner Minshew. Um, Sorry, yeah, Gardner. Fair. He's on his fair. way out anyway. Someone's going to give him $9 million. He's going to so? be fine. Gardner Minshew next year. Last question. Gardner Minshew next year. Jimmy Cook. Top of your head, gut instinct. Gardner Minshew is on what roster next year? Go. Boom. Bears. 
Eddie Garrison, Gardner Minshew, next year's on the roster. Oh, boom, go. Colts. Safe pick. Kevin Bowen, next year. Gardner Minshew, Patriots. boom, go. Huh? Patriots. Ooh, that's nice. I'm down with that. That's cool. I'll go with uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not as a starter. Back up Baker Mania. Kevin, enjoy the games. Enjoy the weekend, all right? Boys, have a great weekend. Kevin Bowen, uh, of course, you hear him in the mornings with Andy Sweeney, the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Up next, turning back the clock, baby. Put on your parachute pants. Get your Coca-Cola sweatshirt. Come back, come back, come back. We're going to Victory Field slash Bush Stadium, Perry Field, 16th Street. Razor Shines is next. Hey, Razor. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Bruce Schumacher, how are you? What's up, Shu? Hey, I'm doing well. I am doing well. This September, we want to bring you back to Indianapolis for Razor Shines Weekend at Victory Field. And, with your permission, we'd like to retire your uniform number three. Oh, 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 oh my goodness. First of all, let me say, that, that that's quite an honor. And secondly, Shu, you have my permission. My, my <laughs> family would love nothing more. Coming to the plate for your Indians... Third baseman, number three, Razor Shines. In 2009, Maxim Magazine said that our next guest had, quote, the most badass name in the history of sports, which is hard to argue. Spent nine seasons with the Indianapolis Indians in his baseball career and became an absolute fan favorite at Bush Stadium. Razor Shines, whose number will be, will be retired, as you just heard this season, joins us on the show. Razor, it is a thrill, man. How are you? Congratulations. I am wonderful. Thanks for having me on your show. So the first question I've got to ask is, what was the reaction? We heard the call when Bruce Schumacher, the Indianapolis Indians, called you to let you know that in the 121 years history of that famed baseball franchise, Jackie Robinson, of course, has his number retired by all baseball teams, as he should for his breaking the color barrier. But the Indianapolis Indians have never retired a jersey until number three. What was your reaction once it really sank in? Well, you know, it it hasn't sank in yet. (laughs) Excuse me. My reaction is, first of all, I've, I've never in my life been lost for words. And I guess it's true what they say is always the first time for some things. So I was speechless. I, I didn't know what to say. Um, I'm still kind of out there wondering, you know, is this real? Am I dreaming? You know, so I'm, I'm first of all, man, I, I, I really don't know right now what I feel. Um, everybody in Indianapolis has been so great to me. Uh, the fans. Um, the Schumacher family, Max especially, he's 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 been a, he's been more than a general manager. He's he's been a father figure to me. Um, there's nothing that I ever wanted in Indianapolis that that man wouldn't get get for me. And um, for them to do this to me, uh, to retire my jersey number, um, is mind-boggling to me. I, I still hadn't grasped it yet. You know. 
I'm curious of this, Razor. When you were a player, and I, I had mentioned this to you, you know, I I grew up in Indianapolis and, you know, the knot hole gang and playing little league ball and going down. Yep. And, and the Indians were such a big part for not just me, but a lot of people listening were such a big part of our summer, still are for people here in town. And you were such an iconic figure with that. You know, like I said earlier, your name wasn't Robert. It wasn't, it was Razor, right? And, and on top of that, being a great player and becoming a beloved figure here. But I have to go back and think to myself, for you, was there kind of a dichotomy of emotion there because you have this love affair with this city, but in reality, it's a city that you're trying to springboard away from because you're trying to get to the big leagues. How did you battle kind of that emotion of being this beloved figure? but also knowing that it was with a fan base that you were hoping to be able to graduate from? Well, first of all, you know, as a, as a minor league baseball player, his goal or her goal, whoever it may be, is to be a major league player. That's what they came into the game to do. And along the way, things happen. Um, you know, you, 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 you go to a city. Um, not only do you fall in love with the city, you fall in love with everything. Um, the broadcaster, Howard Kelman, man, what a guy. Um, the writers at the time, uh, Kim Rogers, um, Cal Burleson. I mean, everything there was unbelievable. And they treated me so nice. So when there was things to be done for the not old kids or a clinic to be held or someone to go speak. I wanted to do that because everybody was so good to me. And, um, I I don't think that was a question. I I don't think that's one of the things that, that kept me from, you know, wanting to think about wanting to springboard to the major leagues because, if that happened, that would have been great. That that was what I was, you know, hoping for as a kid, a lifelong dream. And it and it happened. You know, I did. I got the opportunity to go to the major leagues. And it was everything they talked about. But it wasn't home. Home was in Indianapolis. Um, that's where my family was. That's where everybody I knew seemed to be. And it was hard leaving there. And I, I just don't know how to put that in words, but Indianapolis is now home for me. Always has been. And with that, when you look back on it, Razor, and I know now, for for those that are unfamiliar, get us caught up to speed here. You're living in Orlando, correct? That is correct. We relocated from Texas, and we live in Orlando, Florida. Because you had a vast, you know, both playing and managerial career within baseball after your time in Indianapolis. Are you away from the game totally now and retired, or are you still dabbling in different things? Well, I am away from the game and retired professionally, but I do have a grandson and a granddaughter that plays, and I am going to coach their team So as long as I'm able to do it. And I enjoy watching them play. I'm glad to be around it just to see that they love it the way I did. And that's probably as fun as managing Charlotte or any of the other teams, right? It's more fun. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bet, right? But when you do that, so you're in Orlando and you're sitting around and and you start reminiscing. 
and you reminisce about Indianapolis and whether it be one of the American Association titles or, you know, 84, 85, one of the, but you start just thinking about all of it. What things, even aside from baseball, what do you miss about Indy? What are the things about Indianapolis that you most loved or enjoyed? And what was life like for Razor Shines in the mid-80s? Well, first of all, let me tell you this. Life in the mid-80s, we'll start there. It was, it was unbelievable. It was the best time of my life. Uh, I met my wife in the mid-80s. I married my wife in the mid-80s. And I'm still married today. So first of all, you know, that, that, that was unbelievable. Um, Indianapolis, you know, it, it, my friends, the Dallas Williams, um, Alonzo Powell, all those guys lived there. You know, it, it was like a family affair. I mean, it wasn't just a place to live during the summer while you played baseball. We lived there in the off season. We worked there with J and J distributors. We worked there with Musing Oil. We did things uh, as a as a unit, as a family. And Indianapolis was a big part of that. So wait, so you had jobs outside of baseball? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so tell me. So what was Razor Shine doing in December of 1984, or like in the off season? He was driving a, a oil truck for Musing Oil. <laughs> so, okay, hold on. So how often did you – so you're driving an oil truck around town, right? So you're sitting at a stoplight at like, you know, 16th and Capitol in an oil truck. Were people ever like, wait a minute, your razor shines? Well, people did not do that while I was driving my truck, but I have went to homes and filling up people's oil tanks and I've gotten that. Are you? Are you? Are you razor shine? <laughs> I've gotten that. Yes. Did you ever stop and like throw ball in the front yard with a kid or something when you're stopping to do a delivery? <laughs> no, because it was too much ice and snow. I mean, I was trying to wrap up. <laughs> I guess. I guess you're right. In the winter time, you're probably right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Razor Jake led off the conversation with the piece from Maxim in 2009, your name getting declared the most badass name of all time. Objectively speaking, I think we all agree it most definitely is, but it's also a family name, right? That is correct. Uh, It's my son's middle name. It's his son's middle name. And it's, it's just part of the Shannon's family. What is the what's know, the origin of it? Who was the first razor? Uh, my father. And was that a nickname? I mean, your name is Anthony Shines, but like, so was Razor a nickname that was given to him, or was did was it he? It was his middle. It was my father's middle name, and um, they named my middle name at the time was Ray R instead of Razor, and um, it just happened. It just I became Razor. So my son's middle name had to be Razor, uh-huh. and, his, and his son's middle name is Razor. So that's the life we live. Now, I don't recall this Razor. Razor shines our guest, the Indianapolis Indians legend. His number will be retired by the Indians at the end of this upcoming baseball season, number three. I don't recall this, but did you get like a Bic or Gillette advertising marketing deal during your playing days? Because if not, like lots of people should be fired. <laughs> no, sir. That, that didn't come about. The hell? It, 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 
It did not, and it's okay. I mean, I was I wasn't I was just in there having fun playing baseball and just making kids smile. I mean, to see a kid, you know, go out and you're playing pickup ball with kids, and all of a sudden the kid says, "I'm Razor." I mean, I can't explain to you how that made me feel inside to know that they felt that way about me. Razor, there's always a chance of getting lied to by the Internet. So since I have you here, I can ask you as the first-hand source. Were you a spokesperson for Aquafina back in 2009? Is that is that true? That is correct. And they had the third base coach of life? That is correct. Do you, do you, I was the third base coach of the New York Mets at the right, time. Right, right. Do you, do you still give out life advice? Do people still come at you and, and ask the third base coach of life for help? <laughs> no, those days are over. Now listen, Razor, I don't know how yeah. you could be, and it's great that, that you did marketing for Aquafina, but how did you not do it for Aquavelva? I mean, where <laughs> like where are these people, right? <laughs> I mean, we should have hooked up a long time ago. Hey, I want to read you something that somebody just sent me, Razor Shines, because I think you'll appreciate this. Okay. Jake, I'm 44. Razor was my childhood hero. My eight-year-old son is a baseball nut. I have an autographed ball from Razor Shines, that got signed when I was my son's age. The signature's a little faded, but it's currently sitting on display in my son's room right above his bat. That's pretty cool, wow. isn't it? That is really cool. And and, and, and that, that warms my heart. That, that's cool. How often do you make it back to Indianapolis? And, you know, for your kids, your grandkids, do they, do they understand what this city means to Razor? Um. My grandkids do not yet, but my kids do. My my daughter and and my um, son, they both understand what the city means to us. We lived there. They grew up there. Um, stayed there so long, man. It was fun. It was understandable that Indianapolis was home. And when we moved somewhere else, Indianapolis was called home for them. What's the first place you like to go to when you come back other than the ballpark? There had to be like a restaurant that you loved back in the day or, you know, like, I don't know, if you, maybe just like get in an oil truck and drive around town. What <laughs> what comes back for you? Well, you know, the, the thing I like most now is, is um, it was a mom and pop's barbecue, and I can't remember how to get there, but I could drive there every day if I had to when I was in, in Indianapolis. Um, back in the day, and those barbecue reels were some kind of good. I mean, okay, I so wife- it might have been Zeb's. Zeb's was big back then. King Ribs was big back then. I don't know if it was either one of those. It, it was not. It okay. was because because it was it was up in a it, it was up in a uh, an area of town that wasn't one of the most livable areas in town. Right, but the barbecue. My wife got tired of eating those ribs. I can tell you that. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Even in December, exactly. when you, it's it's hard driving an oil truck through the drive-through. Is the only problem there, right? <laughs> uh, a couple other things. Razor shines our guest. Um, Razor, let's go to when you're going to go out there and, and the retirement's going to take place. Um, I, I'm curious of this. When you go back and you look. And you see, and you would have to be, I would think, one of few players that would be a player where they look up in a stadium and the only two numbers retired are yours 
and that of Jackie Robinson. Knowing Jackie Robinson's contribution to the game, knowing you being a, a man of color in Indianapolis in the 80s, which, I mean, it wasn't Indianapolis of the 50s, but this is a city with its own history that can be ugly at times. What does that mean to you? It, 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 it means a lot. First of all, it means that, you know, errors change, you know, and, and, and people change. And I'm, I'm just... I'm just excited to, to to be associated with a place like Indianapolis. <clears throat> it's 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 home. It's always going to be home, even though I may live somewhere else and raise my kids in another city. Indianapolis is where it all started for me, and I, I enjoyed playing at all the spots that I played at. Stops along the way, from A ball to High A, Double A, Triple A. But there was nothing like Indianapolis, nothing. The, the, the relationship with the fans, the communities, uh, everything was outstanding. And we had, obviously, the best GM in, in all of baseball. And I'm going to believe that until to the end of the road. Talking about Max Schumacher, his family, Bruce Schumacher now still the one that gave you the call, so still the owners of – the Indianapolis Indians, Cal yeah. Burleson, still you know involved in the franchise. Howard Kelman, who you'd mentioned, so you know a lot of old friends, and Kim Rogers, known as Kimmer by those that know him, that still uh, works in, in helping out in you know the box scores and, and everything else. Razor, listen, all, go ahead. First of all, Cal is no longer with us. That, you he know what? Is. I'm sorry, I did know that he passed away. Was it two years ago? It's, I, I don't exactly remember the time, but it, it, he, what a good person. I just want to make sure that that's on record. Great man. And he um, he was with the franchise all the way, I believe. You know, I mean, he stayed on and worked his way all the way up through the franchise, obviously, and was a major part of it. And the highest-ranking lieutenant that was not a Schumacher, essentially, is the best way to say it, right? Along with Howard Gelman, obviously, you know. That is correct. Hey, that is correct. Razor, listen, I, I can't tell you what a thrill it is. You know, when – and – when you do what I do for a living and you're a sports talk host in your hometown, you get the privilege of talking to different athletes and, you know, from different walks and some of them Hall of Famers and champions and everything else. Um, but I don't know that any's as big a thrill because I, I just spent so many nights at Bush Stadium and like so many kids in Indianapolis just to be able to come down and try to get an autograph or catch a foul ball. And you were the one consistent, man. I mean, you were the one consistent that we knew um, – Back then, the, the the Pacers let us down from time to time, and we didn't have an NFL team yet, but the one thing that was reliable is that we'd see Mr. Dan's in center field and Razor Shines might hit a ball that lands near it, and it was just always fun, man. It's been a thrill. Oh, I thank you so much for that. Um, I, you know, it, it's, it's – man, it's hard for me right now to, to – to talk about Indianapolis because it, it, it brings back so many great memories and it, 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 I know this sounds funny for a guy that's big and strong and, 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 and never weak. I didn't think I was, but it brings tears to my eyes. And, and those are not tears that, that are weak tears. Those are tears of, of, of pure happiness. And it ma- it makes me feel pretty good. And I don't want people to, um, think that those tears are, are anything other than joyful tears. 
Well, a lot of joy for a lot of people, and it's going to be a lot of fun when you come back and you get the honor that is well-deserved, and I look forward to seeing it, and I know a lot of people do, Razor, and uh, I am certainly thrilled to be able to share that news with everybody today and to be able to have you on the program. And what's a busy day, I appreciate you covering out a little bit of time for us. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much, and really, what you do for the city, I know I'm not the only one who appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Razor Shines, the legend of the Indianapolis Indians. It is at the end of the season where, and I, he is correct about Kyle. I, I did know that about Kyle Burleson, obviously, who um, had been the general manager at the end there for the Indians as well. But, um, you know, Razor Shines, it is at the end of the season. My, my understanding is the final homestand, so it will be in September, I think. I don't know if that's technically, you know, late summer, early fall. But um, the thought of, I can only imagine when I was a kid, if I would have been like, out in the front yard building a snowman or something, an oil truck rolls up and razor shines hopped out of the back of it. It would have been absolutely – I would have been awesome. I'd have loved every second of it. Uh, way over. Jeff Schwartz, by the way, top of the hour, talking a little NFL. Querying Company, 93.5, The Fan. By the way – Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection – you can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. As I always say, I should do more often a hearty hello to everybody in the YouTube chat. The break room. The break room, that's right. The Quarian Company break room. Uh, several people pointing out with Razor Shines, and thanks to Razor for his time, um, Paw and Ma's Barbecue. Yeah, my brother texted me that during the interview. Barbecue Heaven, several said as well. Um, Zeb's is the one that I remember on Keystone, which was which was great. Um, but Ma and Pa's right there and Barbecue Heaven, probably one of those two. But a lot of fun to reminisce uh, with Razor Shines. And, and I certainly understand for you guys, and I appreciate your, your kind of patience in that. Um, you know, you're probably like a, an Indians player from the '80s, but but there's just, there was just something about it. It was just a you know he was doing commercials and he was he was everywhere, man. And and I think it's I speak for a lot of people in saying that it's appreciated and um it's cool to hear that the love affair that Indianapolis had with him that clearly it meant something to him. You could tell there that clearly uh, Razor Shines appreciated and enjoyed the the reminisce about indianapolis uh jeff schwartz going to join us next we'll talk a little nfl conference championship weekend maybe get his thoughts as well on where the colts rank in terms of those and the two-minute drill coming up bottom of the hour Corey and company here on a friday conference champ life is full of things to manage your work your family your plans and your treatment consider kesimpta ofatumumab 20 milligram injection you can take it yourself from the comfort of home if you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Championship weekend in the NFL. Few better to talk to than the eight-year NFL offensive lineman himself. Great follow on Twitter. All football season, all year long, really, at Jeff Schwartz. Of course, you can hear him on, see him and hear him on Fox Sports and hear him on Sirius XM NFL. Jeff, appreciate the time as always. Thank you for making... A window for us through conference championship weekend. We'll get right to it with myself. I'm, I'm a Chiefs fan. Jake knows that. You don't know that, but now you do. Kansas City wins. 
if what, or is Baltimore just too balanced on both sides and, and the, the ride this year ends here? Good question. Um, I think I think two things have to happen. One is the Ravens have to turn the ball over a bunch. So the Chiefs, you know, they pressure Jackson and, and force a couple bad throws and maybe a fumble, which obviously is tough to always predict, but, you know, that's, that has to happen. And then, I don't know, man, they need some wide receiver to step up. Um, I feel very comfortable that uh, the Ravens will take away Kelsey. So someone else. Um, is it Rice? Is it MVS? Is it, I mean, Sky Moore, I think, is active. Someone, someone has to step up in the pass game. Jeff, when you look at these four teams, which one, because so many factors can come into play over the course of a game, weather conditions, field conditions, et cetera. Of the four teams that are left remaining, which one has the most across-the-board balance that allows them, if one area of the game goes south for them, to still make up for it elsewhere? Oh, it's Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore, to me, if they win this game, um, they win the Super Bowl. I actually think the AFC wins – they're winning the Super Bowl. Um, so I would think that it's probably Baltimore. The way they play defense, and Lamar and run the football, I mean, it's got to be the Ravens. You know, the, the it's interesting about because, the you know, Lamar Jackson is so dynamic, I think that we we hone in on that. And then defensively, I, to me, Baltimore just – that's always been their reputation, right, Jeff? Like, like I think people think that Baltimore gets oversold on their defense because of reputation, and then you remind yourself Ed Reed and Ray Lewis ain't there anymore. But it is still, if you could, take through for our listeners defensively what Baltimore does that makes Kansas City face such a big challenge here. They're just really good everywhere. They don't have a weakness. Like, sometimes that's as simple as, is an answer, right? Like, wh- where are you attacking them? Are you like, oh, we'll run the football. Okay, well, good luck with their D tackles and their linebackers. Oh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pass the ball. We'll look at their secondary. I mean, and I think that's what makes them so balanced. And that's what makes teams balanced, right? It's not just that sometimes also, look, you need a good quarterback, of course, but sometimes it's less about, you know, the, the things you're good at and more about your weaknesses, right? Like if Baltimore – I think Kyle Hamilton's an all-pro, but I don't think anyone else in that defense is. I mean, Humphrey has been, I believe, at a time, but he was hurt this season. Like, they don't have a, a decorated defense per se, right? They just have really good football players all over the place. And that is sometimes more important than having, you know, a, a four defenders on the all-pro team and then having a terrible secondary, right? Um, and and I'm going to make sure I got that right about the all-pro thing, but, like, they're just – they're um, – yeah, uh, uh, Rokos was all-pro, too. They're just really good everywhere, you know, and it makes it really hard to play this team because there's not much of a weakness. And Mike McDonald, their, their, their D.C., is, is just excellent. Um, and so they're just a good football team, man. And the two things you need most, in my opinion, to win two roles is, is elite quarterback play and really physical – uh, team and they had both of that. Longtime offensive lineman and current host and analyst for Sirius XM NFL and Fox Sports, Jeff Schwartz is our guest. Jeff, a year ago, and I understand offensively Kansas City's a different team, but a year ago in the Super Bowl, everybody pointed to the talented Eagles defense, and I don't want to get into a bait of what are the Eagles or Ravens, this year's Ravens, better, but it was that first 15, the first 15, the game script being so important as being a tone setter for Kansas City. 
How critical is that on the road in Baltimore, regardless if they get the ball first or not, the first 15 that Andy Reid's able to cook up against McDonald in that defense? What you about the Super Bowl is it really was like the second half, right? It was all those – they figured out that when the Eagles – um, when the Chiefs would motion a guy sort of pass from number one into number two, basically, that the, the Eagles would try to switch that off, right? And they caught him twice on that, on, you know, for that, that, that same sort of concept. The Ravens aren't going to be caught doing that, right? Um, and I think mean, that's a the big part of this. You're not going to be, in my in my opinion, any reason not going to outcoach Mike McDonald, right? Like, McDonald is, is an elite defensive coordinator. And so – you have to just find ways for your guys to make plays, right? And those guys are, again, I mean, is it MVS? Is it Pacheco? Is it Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? You know, your offensive line, it's probably without Joe Tooney. It left, it left guard. That's a huge loss. His best offensive lineman. So there's just a lot of things, again, stacking up against them. But look, it's the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, like, count them out feels silly to me. But this, look, they played that in the sixth, right? Sixth, sorry, it's a championship game. Outside of maybe the first one, they have not been the least talented of the two teams playing the game, um, and they are this week. They, they just are, and, and that's okay to admit. But the Chiefs' defense guys is really good, and if the Chiefs' defense is able to play the way that they can play. Then I think this game is much closer because you know what, what's Baltimore going to do if you take away their passing game? Yeah, they can run the ball, I guess, but this is not the Texans' defense, right? I mean, in the middle you got Gay and Bolton and Chris Jones up the middle, like. She's got some some legit guys on defense, so that's the thing the Chiefs have to win this game, honestly, with their defense. Jeff, when we in Indianapolis assess the football season, you know, you look at conference championship weekend, and it's easy to say, well, the Colts were close because they were, you know, they got down to the the final weekend of playoff potential, and and obviously, you know, you saw what happened from an outside perspective as somebody who knows the league. How yeah. close are the Indianapolis Colts, and what is the area for you that would give you pause to saying that they can be a step away from being elite? Well, I mean, the Texans-Ravens game, I think, is a good example of sort of how far the gap sometimes is between an elite team to a really good team, right? I mean, the, 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 my takeaway from the Texans is, like, that was a good test for your team uh, to to see you know, to see what you have to do to be better to beat the Ravens and I think the Colts look at it the same way like we have to look at our roster and think how do look you're not going to you know beat the Chiefs by having a better quarterback so you have to find a way to okay is it is it defense is it is it offense like how do, how do we find ways to have advantages over Kansas City because they're they're you know they're the lead dog so are the Ravens as well I think the Colts' biggest question right now is is not if Anthony Richardson is like good or not, but how good is he, right? Because that he only played. Was it was five games this year. He played the five he played this year. Yeah, and I don't believe um, he he finished. I don't think he finished any game he started. Yeah, so that that's to me is the biggest question. I mean, look, the team to be where they are with Gardner Minshew was very impressive because Minshew to me is like the the perfect backup, right? He he's great if he has to play one or two games, but the whole season you get a lot of up and a lot of down, right? Um, and so you got you got both of that and a lot of games this season with them. So the team obviously is well coached. Um, you have a backup quarterback and you're close to a playoff spot. That means you're well coached. But to me, it's, it's Richardson, right? It's like how how good is he going to be? Because Stroud obviously is good, and you you really you rarely get two quarterbacks in a class that are elite. It's just it's just it's rare to see, right? A lot of times it's one guy, maybe one guy's good, and then there's a bust or two. So. 
it would defy the odds that Richardson was was that guy. But that to me is the is it right? Like if Richardson is is that guy, then you're going to be a competitor each and every season. If he's not, then you won't be. And I think there were signs this year that Richardson did some really good things on the field. And I think that that that's it's all about finding you know out who Richardson is in in this next season. And you have to try to hit when the iron's hot because of the salary cap, right? And and paying a young quarterback. So they really got to figure this out you know, pretty quickly and then move on from there. Jeff, is there anything from the 49ers' struggles at times against the Green Bay Packers that the Detroit Lions can exploit or take away from? Or was it just, hey, that was a yucky game against an opponent that knows you well and Debo Samuel goes down in that game? Is there anything that popped out on film where you're like, hey, Detroit could do this and we might have a game on our hands? I tend to lean toward um, the Niners' performance itself was pretty yucky, but I don't think that really um, means much for the Lions. I think the Niners played better, but the Lions look – and it means a high-scoring game. Both defenses have their warts, right? The Lions are terrible at defending the pass. They've allowed 140 yards now, five, uh, so 140 yards to a single wide receiver in five straight games. Um, the Niners can't stop the run. The Lions want to run the football. They kind of have both teams vying back and forth. Um, the weather's going to be good, so we should expect to see a good Brock Purdy. The, the Debo thing is big, man, because the Niners have have been a much different offense when Debo's not in the game. And so if he plays, I think you look at a better Niners team. If he doesn't, I think it's a problem. But I think we'll see Brock Purdy just play better in general. I don't think that's exactly who he is last week. I don't think he's Joe Montana either, like somewhere somewhere in the middle <laughs> between you know the, the, the best quarterback of all time and, and, and a schmo. So I think we'll see better Brock Purdy. He won't play that bad this week, I don't think. He's Jeff Swartz, eight-year NFL offensive lineman. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Swartz. And, of course, find his coverage on SiriusXM NFL and at Fox Sports. Has a great NFL championship weekend preview up there right now. Jeff, thank you for the time. Enjoy conference championship weekend. Take care, guys. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Appreciate it. Uh, good question that was asked to me just now is, you know, how many teams are going to go and look at what the Colts did? Because Colts beat Baltimore, which is crazy yeah. to think, right? It's weird. The Colts are hanging in the balance for them. Would be two consecutive seasons, back to back years. In fact, if the Ravens train continues on, that they would have wins over the team that represented the AFC in the Super Bowl. They did to Kansas City last year, early season, just like that Baltimore win, and just weird quirkiness of the NFL schedule. Jake, you never know when those type of trickles are going to happen, but it, it is on the table again this year. I'm going to play a game here with you guys. You ready? Always love a good game. Yeah. Now, I want you to go not with the immediacy, so n- not not current roster. Okay. I'm going to name a team that's alive in the NFL playoffs among the last four here, and I don't want you to think about it. This is like when the doctor hits your knee and it just, you, you, you know, boom, reaction, right? Tell me, historically speaking, whether it be your favorite or just whatever it might be, Name and word association. You folks listening can do this at home. I want you to tell me the first player that you think of when I name a franchise. Now, I'll warm you up with a few NBA franchises first, okay, so that so that you don't have time to think about it in the NFL. For example, tonight the Phoenix Suns taking on the Pacers at the Fieldhouse. Eddie Garrison, go. Phoenix Suns, boom. Steve Nash. Phoenix Suns, Jimmy. Charles Barkley. Okay, good. Uh, now... I'll do another one. You ready? Boston Red Sox, Eddie. Uh, Manny Ramirez. Boston Red Sox, Jimmy. Big Poppy. David Ortiz. Okay, very good. Um, what about you, Jake? What about those two teams? Well, you have to give me teams. I, see, I, I, I led the witness there, so like oh. you, you've got to give me give me a team. Atlanta Braves. Dale Murphy. Seattle Seahawks. Steve Largent. 
So it's probably somewhat of an age thing, right? To an extent. I think you as you guys point out, although the two you gave were really good, I and I think even people like of a recent ilk would go with those. But here we go. Eddie Garrison, Baltimore Ravens. Balt- Ooh, Ray Lewis. Okay. I think Sorry. No, I think that's probably for my brain to register. Okay. Jimmy Cook, you ready? Detroit Lions. John Kitna. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) John Kitna played for like nine franchises. I was was so so in my brain, right? I was trying to preemptively go San Francisco 49ers. Steve Young. And I, I, I didn't think he'd go Lions first. So that's why I froze. Jerry Rice. Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes. I said amongst players that don't currently play. Oh, sorry. Jamal Charles. But it's hard to argue. I mean, that's – Kansas City Chiefs, I would probably go with Mahomes too, right? And I saw Barry Word play, and I saw Christian Okoye and Joe Delaney. Certainly, Jimmy, you know the story of Joe Delaney, right? Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Hey, where did uh, Christian Okoye play at college, Jimmy? Kuzis, is that right? Pacific uh, Asuza. Asuza. Pacific Asuza. yes. Uh, No, there's a great 30 for 30 short on Joe Delaney and that, that whole story. Uh, uh, Joe Delaney, for those unfamiliar, 1982, I believe, uh, rookie dynamic running back for the Chiefs. Uh, he was out of uh, school in Texas, I think, <laughs> but he was home. I, I don't recall if it was in Texas or Mississippi, but anyway, he he heard some kids screaming uh, because they were drowning, and he jumped into the water. I don't remember if it was a pool or it was lake. A lake. It was a lake. Yeah, and he jumped in the water, but he himself did not know how to swim, and he drowned. Uh, unfortunately, and you know, fatally, and obviously, if it was drowned, and I, I think it was three. I think the boys survived, yes. right? Yep. Mm-hmm. But he did not. And are they in the short? Do they talk to him? It's been a decade since I've seen it. I think so. They at least talked to some of the family for certain. Uh, Priest Holmes, Dante Hall also would have been acceptable in terms of the last twenty years. Priest Holmes, man, I Priest Holmes and Sean Alexander are poster oh, children cool. of. And probably Terrell Davis. What about Dontari Poe? <laughs> Three guys <laughs> that just fell off a cliff instantly, right? Lynn Elliott yeah. for me for Kansas City for the Chiefs. Yeah, Ladanian Tomlinson's the well, thanks for that. Ladanian Tomlinson is the only one of that like of the early two thousands of running backs that had longer shelf life after that big run because you'd have touchdown leader after touchdown leader. LT's really the only one that had long legs after that. Uh, he's the kicker that shall not be named in Kansas City. By the way, Lynn Elliott. Yeah, um, as you would tend to. Understand why people here love him. Oh yeah, people in Indianapolis sure love do. them. Some Lynn sure Elliott. By the way, uh, two minute drill coming up. Bottom of the hour. Uh, Eddie, give me one more team. Doesn't matter which any sport. Lead. Any sport. Yeah. Any sport. Okay. Um, Scout Cubs. Oh, dang it, Jimmy. Sorry, I couldn't wait. Leon one. Durham. Chip Ganassi Racing. Juan Montoya. Scott Dixon would be probably what most people would say for that, but. Um, but Montoya, his dominance in the 2,500 still is like... Team Penske. Boy, Allenser Jr. Also a lot that you could go with on that, right? Uh, last night at the Fieldhouse, Pacers over the Philadelphia 76ers. Pascal Siakam, a triple-double. And yes, in fact, my marketing... My, now, now, the razor shines. How did he not get a razor endorsement? It's wild. Barbasol, anybody. Well, Aqua Velva, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah Barbasol. How about Burma Shave? You guys familiar with Burma Shave? I don't think Eddie so. Eddie says yes, Burma Shave. So. I've heard their commercials. Burma Shave was known back in the day for their billboards 
where as you would drive on the interstate, probably like in US 40, like I'm talking like in the 50s, 60s, sure. they would have a word, each billboard, like every mile, there'd be a word where you would then like, while you're driving in your car, remember them so that you, and then ultimately it would make a slogan. And Burma Shave was known for having their different catchy slogans. Now I happen to know two of them off the top of my head, for example, okay? Peaches are great with lots of fuzz, but man's no peach. It never was. Burma shave. Or, in this time of toil and sin, a man's head grows bald, but not his chin. Burma mm. shave. Right? But I think Burma might have been gone by the time Razor Shines was around. But, like, you know, you got to have, like, how did they not have that marketing brilliance? But anyway, um, Big Lug. I had mentioned that Pascal Siakam with the Spicy P nickname that we need spicy pea wings in Indianapolis. They are now available, apparently, at Big Lug up in Nora because Eddie Sam and the boys were listening, and they knew this is this is what we got to do. A nice Pascal. I don't, I don't have the name in front of me, but a wheat beer for Pascal Siakam as well. That's correct. With that, so really cool. Uh, Triple-double last night for Siakam, and I thought Eddie or, or Jimmy, and you tell me if you agree, Jimmy, I, to me, and I know this sounds crazy to say, it, it was like a quiet triple-double, if that makes sense. You kind of looked after the fact, and you're like, oh, wow, really? Just a consistent over the course of the game. There wasn't any one point right. where he like popped off, and you're like, man, it like look you at had this. a stretch of like five rebounds and like six points that like just blew up right in your face. It was very much, as we mentioned, it's a positive in terms of without Tyrese Halliburton, how does the offense run? It was so within the flow of the game, Jake. Correct. Right? Like within it the flow, it wasn't something that felt forced or felt chased. It was. I mean, every triple-double is earned, right? It's only sixth of his career. But yeah, quiet's the right way to put it, I would say. Um, and then, you know, the other storyline I thought last night was they just they didn't allow Joel Embiid to come out and beat him. Uh, you know, he, and it looked at, at times it looked like that was going to happen. He hit a couple of, of – he is so good at – and it really is amazing when, when you watch Embiid and he's – he literally brings the ball up the floor. And then a couple of dribbles and he's – you know, he's he is so almost methodical. He's not overly quick. He doesn't have some dynamic first step. So you're sitting there watching it, and you're like, deliberate is probably yeah. another way of saying it. And then, you know, he hits a couple pull-up jumpers. And, and at one point, it was almost like everybody in the building, like, you know, you were just anticipating, is he going to do this every possession? He had four yeah. or five straight possessions. And then... I thought Indiana did a really good job of figuring out, kind of pushing him away mm-hmm. from his comfort zone, and 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 yes, they were allowing him that range, but they weren't going to let him as he does drive to the basket and have easy looks, and they they interrupted, especially when he he would bring the ball down. They were you know Miles Turner had really quick hands last night in defending him, and they kind of just seemed to to take him out of the equation. You talked about it earlier in the week, Jake, when we were looking back at, well, when did the traditional big man fade away? Like, when was the last, like, draft that it might have gone away? And it's not so far removed that basketball fans my age or Eddie's age forget what a big man is traditionally supposed to look like. You can still see it, of course, in the college game. Zach Eady, the most notable example right now of just a big fella that's going to dominate in the post and can do everything and there's no way to stop it, that even when you see still today the old big man's gone and the modern big man is here, 
the effortless nature, whether it's in the post, whether it's bringing up the floor of guys like Nikola Jokic, of guys like Joel Embiid, who are still kind of built in terms of more bulky than like your Carl Anthony Towns or your Miles Turner, but they still do it so effortlessly. It's incredible and it's easy to get lost in that from a defensive standpoint where it feels like, oh, he's just going to go, as you mentioned, for 10 straight baskets. They're going to get back into this ball game. Betting doesn't mean anything in terms of the context of what happens on the floor, but he had been off a 70-point game, had had, what, 21, now 22 straight games, at least 30 points, but it felt like he really had to work to get to that 30-point threshold. The fact that they were able to let him get his to some extent, but not let it be to a point that they ever gave up the lead, like Eddie and I talked about it before we went on air, first wire-to-wire victory of the season for the Pacers. I mean, it was as complete a performance as you could have asked for, and a dominant one at that, not something I think any of us would have anticipated given the crisis of trying to figure out what does life look like without Tyrese Halliburton over this short, hopefully short, three-game stint. By the way, Eddie, do you happen to have the breaking news sounder by any chance? Thank you. This is from John Rothstein. The Big Ten is planning to stay at 20 league games when UCLA, USC, Oregon, and Washington join the conference in 2024-25. The Big Ten is also planning to only have 15 of its 18 teams in the Big Ten tournament starting in 2025. So, See, I don't like the last part because I'm an agent of chaos and I love havoc. I want everybody there. I want everybody, regardless of how bad your season was, to have a dream and a hope of being Big Ten champion. I, I don't like that last part. So that means, so he's talking about from the basketball standpoint there, right? Obviously. Yep. Um, so that means that each year, who are the three teams that get left out of the Big Ten tournament every year? It's going to be a three-team party with who? Rutgers. I don't want to include them in here, but we'll say Northwestern and... Ah, man. I... I'm probably disrespecting Northwestern there. Boo-booey. I mean, they've, they've had a solid stretch the last five or six Nebraska? years. Nebraska? Yeah. Indiana? If things keep up, that might be a place I mean, they reside in. The way it stands uh, right now? <laughs> right? I guess you could include Michigan in that same pact if we're going off of recency bias. Yeah, this Michigan? Year, right? Michigan, USC, and Nebraska can all sit around during the Big Ten <laughs> tournament and talk about how football season is right around the corner. Isn't that what they're going to do? Great, great... Uh, momentum stealing opportunity for Kurt Signetti in, in 25 if that's the case hey hey I know basketball season's done but uh, listen Memorial Stadium just a couple months Kurt away. Kurt Signetti could just show up at the Big Ten men's bis- basketball tournament like, let me tell you who else sucks okay Oregon first player that comes to mind Eddie Garrison boom any any sport Oregon Chris Duarte not bad USC Jimmy Matt Liner nice Washington Eddie Michael Penix Okay, that's fair. Uh, Steve Entman for me, probably for Washington, or Lorenzo Romar, strangely enough. Uh, Then lastly, UCLA, Jimmy. There's a lot to pick from here. Bill Walton. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot to pick from there, right? Trace, for whatever reason, I think about that 92 team, Tracy Murray and Don McClain. They were so good. They blew Indiana out at the beginning of the year, and then they came back and got blown out in the regional finals in Albuquerque. TJ Leaf. (laughs) That's also Lawrence Central, right? It works for that as well. I I just think I'm excited for those teams to get into the Big Ten. I know it's unconventional, and and it makes no sense geographically and travel and everything else, but I just think it's cool. I mean, there's just something for me – 
the Pacific Northwest is just such a cool area of the country, but I just think that that the thing that's fascinating and, and athletically, academically, all that aside, and I'm going to use a word just because I don't know what other word to use to describe it, but Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA, all four of those schools are just sexy. I don't know. There's just something about, I mean, Oregon, you got the uniforms are cool and it's become an it school and the Nike connection. And yeah, I mean, listen, morals and and logistics and tradition, all out the window a long time ago, right? I mean, we're getting ready to, to launch into an area where like robots are going to bring you your local news every night. So like, let's just blow the whole thing up, right? So based on that, if you're going off of what's just cool and vibe, like, Washington has cool colors. It's in Seattle, which is like a cool, hip city. It's in the Pacific Northwest. It's beautiful. And it's and Oregon is where the Goonies was filmed. And they, they wore different helmets every single game. And they're, they, they got Nike money like all over the place. And UCLA and USC are in Bel Air. And USC is in – they play in the Coliseum, which is where the Olympics were. I mean, it's just all four of them, right? Yeah, the thing I'm most looking forward to – this is very quirky of me, but you'll appreciate it. The current Big Ten conference ad that airs once uh-huh. a game, yeah. regardless of what it is, it's a map that goes from Nebraska you're all the get, way to Rutgers. I can't wait for the expansion. I can't right? wait for the expansion from West Coast to East Coast of the Big Ten conference. And Big Ten, if for some reason, which of course you are, because it's a company, you're a part of the company, right? If there's any Big Ten official that's listening to this, I will become hostile. If that is not an ad that is used, if you scrap it and it's just a well, highlight the, of pictures, the pan I'm not from be Nebraska happy. all the way over to the West Coast, brace yourself, right? I mean, yeah. and by the way, brace yourself as well to make sure that your tray is in the upright position and your seat is up. We're flying around. Two minute drills next. So, Jimmy, when you are. Life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta. Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Mid-flight. And they come around and they're like, oh, would you like a snack? Do you go with the mini pretzels? Do you go with the peanuts or do you go with the one little cookie? No, it's the, you got to hype up that last option, Jake. It's a Biscoff cookie, and I'm taking it every time. You said it last time, right? Eddie? As the co-director of insulation, you really think I'm passing up a cookie? Eddie glanced down for the audio-only audience. You know know my tip on this, right? If you're sitting in coach, where it's not usually offered, when they say, would you like a beverage? You know what you say? What beverage would you normally get, Jimmy? Coke Zero. Okay. Eddie? Depends. Sometimes I get water. Okay. Sometimes I get and you know what's juice. interesting is too much water, and then you get depends. Um, <laughs> the if they say what would you like to drink, if you answer with I'd like a can of Diet Coke, please, they'll give you the full can. Now, now a lot of times they give you the full can anyway. But some, if you notice that they're not doing the full can, it's a power move to ask for the full can. You say, can I just get yeah. the full can, please? And then voila. Uh, you, what are you grabbing? You going with that snack mix, or are you you getting the Biscoff? I got the Diet Coke, and then my order would probably be, I'd probably go the Biscoff, yeah. Um, but I do have a weird thing at the airport where I always go and get the Just Pop In indie-style mix, 
every single time and then eat it on the flight and I have like nine pounds of napkins to get the cheese stuff off my fingertips. You would know all of this because we're about to fly together as a matter of fact because it's time for the two-minute drill. Spanning the globe. It's the two-minute drill. Starting things off in Baltimore, our buddy Luke Jones, WNST in Baltimore, Ravens AFC title game. Luke, this is the first time the Ravens have hosted an AFC title game. How jazzed up right now is the city of Baltimore taking them all the way back to the Colts days? Oh, no question about it. The, the enthusiasm is through the roof. I mean, 53 years. You know, Johnny Unitas uh, beating the Oakland Raiders at Old Memorial Stadium. So there's so much excitement. It's been building all year. This has been the best team in the NFL, and now... They have to take down the defending Super Bowl champions, which is easier said than done. But the enthusiasm has just been unbelievable this week. Lamar Jackson was dynamic to get them here. No question about that. He silenced some critics. But does he have it within him again against a good Chiefs defense? Do they go with what works, or do they try to come up with some different things for Lamar Jackson? Well, I, I think you have to look at the Kansas City defense. Their weakness is running the football. The good thing is Lamar Jackson great at doing that, too. So I, I think... You look at what they're going to try to do. This offense runs through Lamar. There's no question about it. He certainly has it in him. It's just a matter of can he outplay, uh, one, the Kansas City defense, but in a bigger picture sense, Patrick Mahomes. That's the big question. But he said it this week. To beat a champion, you have to go through a champion. I think Lamar is as ready for this moment as he's been at any point in his career. Star tight end Mark Andrews activated off of IR today. How does that change the Ravens from an offensive standpoint? Well, I don't know if it changes them dramatically. It just gives them another option. I mean, Isaiah Likely, his understudy, has been their best pass-touching target over the, the last five or six weeks, and that showed up once again with the touchdown against Houston in the divisional round. So they love having Andrews. I, I think he's probably going to be on a pitch count. I would look for key third downs. I would look for the red zone and see how he's doing with that ankle. But certainly great to get him back, and he's really worked his tail off over the last two months to get back and be able to play for the Ravens in this game. Luke Jones, WNST in Baltimore. Appreciate it as always. No problem. Kansas City, Josh Briscoe, WHB Radio. Right to it, Josh. The Chiefs, Lamar Jackson. Do they have the defense to slow down the firepower of the Ravens' dynamic quarterback? I think they do. Their offense is obviously going to have to hold up their end of the bargain, but this defense has been really, really good all year. They do have stars at each level, and it seems like things are going in the right direction on a couple of the injuries there with Billy Gay and Mike Edwards. Not necessarily even the stars of their position group, but really impactful, important players for this defense. Steve Spagnuolo has had answers to just about everything this year, weirdly except for the Packers, as we were kind of really learning how good their offense was back in the regular season. I don't think they're going to shut down Lamar, but I do think they can do enough to limit him to keep this game interesting. Josh, this is arguably the best defense that Mahomes and the Chiefs have faced in this era. Is it going to take a zipper game, or in other words, is it going to take bearing it all out there for Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes to play essentially perfect to beat Baltimore? 100% this is a zipper game. You need everything that the offense has done well, and then to play an even cleaner game, which is always important in zipper territory. Got to be nice and clean with the fact that this defense, that this offense cannot shoot itself in the foot. It cannot have the self-inflicted wounds. It cannot have fumbles through the back of the end zone. You, you cannot miss your opportunities against Baltimore, but you also have to take those deep shots that make that a game where they are putting it all out there. Josh Briscoe's The Zone, 810 Kansas City. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Talk to you again in two weeks. To Detroit, Tim Twentyman, DetroitLions.com. Tim, in terms of the NFC Championship, Lions and 49ers, what does Detroit focus on? What's been the talk this week in terms of trying to corral that San Francisco offense? 
Yeah, that's the key, right? Because I think you look at both these teams offensively, they're pretty similar. You know, really explosive, got great running backs, um, you know, some receivers that can run after the catch, guys that get down the field, two quarterbacks with, you know, similar statistics. So to me, the, the advantage a little bit there is, is with the 49ers defense and the talent that they have in that side of the ball. But you look at Detroit, they've been playing well the last month. Look, they, they haven't allowed 100 yards rushing in six games. Um, they've been pretty good in the red zone. And I think those are the keys, right, along with tackling. Um, those have been the big talking points this week for defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn, especially the tackling part. Um, the quick passes, obviously getting McCaffrey down in the run game. They're so good run after the catch. They were third in the NFL in yak yards this this, uh, this season. And so they can, they can turn a, a small little play into a big game, and that's really got to be the focus for this Detroit Lions defense this week. What's the bigger X factor offensively for Detroit? Obviously conditions and the weather will matter, but what's bigger in terms of defeating San Francisco? They're wide receivers like Amon Ross St. Brown or their running game like Jameer Gibbs? Yeah, you know, guys, I think it's the offensive line. I think when you look at Detroit, and they have those guys have really been the catalyst behind their success on offense. Um, yeah, I think they're a top, you know, two or three unit in, in, in football. You know, obviously, Penny Sewell at right tackle is an all-pro guy. Uh, Frank Ragnall is the best center in football. So I think their ability to, you know, be top five throwing the football this year and top five running, I think that's a, a big part of the offensive line. I think that's where they think they have an advantage. It's a really good San Francisco front, right? Especially on the edges and with, you know, Hargrave and Kinlaw and Armstead in, in the middle. But Detroit likes their guys and they like their matchup in that. And I think that. Um, you know, if those guys play well up front, I think they can be balanced. And I think that's the key. It's not about, you know, running the football. It's not about passing. It's being balanced. Detroit said it's best when it runs it, and then they can play their play action off of it. And so I think that's where, where they think they have an edge going into this one. Tim, the Lions have become America's team. The moment itself is huge. How do they avoid getting caught up in that? I, you know, you do what, what, what got you here, right? And a lot of the guys that I've talked to this week, um, you know, you have a routine. Um, you know, you, 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 you stick to that. And I think they've done a good job of that. Now, the Super Bowl will be another kind of beast, as you guys know, especially with the buy inside. But, look, the, the wild card did the division to the NFC Championship game. I love the fact that it's week to week to week. The Lions haven't lost back-to-back games all year long. So so they're a team that just gets back to work, starts to grind, gets the routine going again, and, and let's wrap it up on Sunday. And, and I think that's how they've approached this one. So it, it's been a good approach. Tim 20 at DetroitLions.com up in Motor City. Appreciate the time as always. All right, guys. Anytime. Damon Bruce, Bay Area longtime reporter. Damon Bruce podcast also available on YouTube. Let's get right to it. Debo Samuel, the health status is what for the Niners offensive star? You know, it's a question mark right now, but I think he goes. We were told that he was 50-50 earlier in the week. Everything that I know about Debo means the player plays. I mean, you'd have to have him in the hospital for him not to go in the NFC Championship game. I'd be stunned if he didn't play. Damon, is there anything the Lions can take away from what the Packers did to exploit San Francisco? Or was that just, hey, bad weather, rough night, you lose Debo? Where do you stand on that? A little of that is all in play for sure. I thought that the best unit on the field in that Packers game was the Packers' offensive line. That should get a little mojo for the Lions, who I think have an even better offensive line than the Packers. It's been a little disappointing to watch the 49ers' once-dominant defensive line become a little bit of an observer in these games. Uh, It's got to go from quarterback pressures to quarterback sacks. So if you're the Lions, controlling the line of scrimmage you think is an option that could be on the table for you. 
Damon, there's been a lot of narrative about whether or not the stage becomes too big for Brock Purdy, but at this point, he's a pretty veteran quarterback despite where it all began for him. Your thoughts on his play now? He's got translatable skills that I think would make any football team he were on better. He might not be the most physically gifted guy in the team photo, but man, he's a quarterback who processes the field. All quarterbacks have bad games. He had a bad game against the Packers. And we've been told that the 49ers can only win as front runners, and there's a lot of evidence to back that up. I think it's good that they got an ugly game out of the way. I think it's good that they put an ugly win in the books. And if the Niners are winning playoff games without Brock Purdy playing well, look out, NFL. The pride of the 1997 Indiana University graduating class now out in the Bay Area. Damon Bruce, appreciate it. Go Hoosiers and go Niners. Go to Chicago where Mark Carmen is with CHGO Podcast. Mark, let's get right to this. Justin Fields will or will not be the guy for the Bears moving forward. I got to say that he will not be. Uh, as much as Justin's been a great guy at Chicago and he has gotten better, Justin is in the rare situation where the Bears have the number one pick and there is a lot of talent up there. Let's just call it like that for Caleb Williams. So I just don't think it's possible that the Bears can – pass on a guy of that level of talent when three years deep Justin isn't has at best proved that he's a guy that you can win with but not win because of which is of course the hope that you're in what you're drafting in Caleb when you look at the pieces around the quarterback position is this a situation where indeed quarterback can be the difference or is it a possible total reset and start over right all over again like you did at the beginning with Justin Fields no, no, no. They're they're definitely a piece or two away, I think, from being elite on offense. They, they do need some help up front, but even then, the, the line is not it's not terrible. You've got a very good right tackle. You've got a very good left guard. You've got a decent right guard. You need to draft a center, and your left tackle is fine. He's not elite, but uh, Braxton Jones has done fine in his two years here. If you want to upgrade it, great, but you don't have to. And then you just need a you need one more wide receiver. You need one dynamic dude. So in some way, shape, or form, if you want to dream it up, that the Bears get a doomsday at nine with, you know, to have the number nine pick two. Or, I don't know, you trade Justin, you take those picks, you use the nine, you move up, and you hit the home run, and you get Marvin. I don't see why the Bears aren't a playoff team next year. Yeah, you walked right into my question, which is, is Marvin Harrison Jr. legitimately on the radar, or is that just pipe dream trade scenario? Like, is that legitimately something they would take a swing on? I mean, it, it feels pipe dreamy, but uh, I, listen, if they're sticking with Justin, though, I don't think it's pipe dreamy. I think they're trying to, you know, move back to two, perhaps get a haul uh, and draft Marvin there, uh, or maybe they, you know, they drop back as far as three, whatever. If they're keeping Justin, I think Marvin is, is most definitely in play. But I, you know, to me, it just seems like a time where let, let's, you know, swing big. The Cardinals. Uh, or the Texans swung big last year, and and look where they're at. And no, nobody thought that Will Anderson trade made any sense, and, and look at where look look at what happened down there. So the Bears are in that position right now. Mark Carmen, CHGO Bears podcast in Chicago. Enjoy the drama, Mark. Appreciate the time. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. appreciate everybody's time on the two minute drill. Always fun to fly around like that. Kind of like when you watch pins fly around on a bowling alley after you had. Nailed yourself a sweet strike. Like I said, uh, and thank you to everybody there on two-minute drill for putting up with us for a couple of minutes each. Um, Greg Poley, the pride of Buffalo, New York, and Taylor University. 
proud father of Owen, who is at Indiana State, Olivia, who is uh, at Ben Davis, and then his wife, Julie, for yesterday, posting on, and he's a friend of the show, Greg Poley, getting a 300 in bowling yesterday. I don't know if it was yesterday that he got it. That's when he posted it. And and then the humble brag, as you pointed out, Eddie, of like, it's been a while, to, you know, it took a while to get back in the swing since returning to bowling, but good to get another one of these, like as if he's had more than one. Like, now if you're an amateur bowler, don't you get a ring for a 300? You get some type of recognition. I don't know if it's a ring. It's definitely like a plaque. Or it, a like thing. if you just went on a Tuesday afternoon up to Royal Penn Woodland Bowl and you're like, I'm just going to go bowling by myself and bowl a 300. Like, do you have to get people to come over to verify it? There's got to be some verification thing to it, right? Oh, yeah, because there's not. Then you just you know go in manually and just add it that way. Can you imagine? Not things I did as a child. Can though. you imagine being nine frames in and then sparing on the on the last frame? You'd be like, oh, I mean, the oh, my gosh. Which would you rather have? Perfect game, hole-in-one. You have witnesses both. Which one would you rather have? Mine's hole-in-one. Rather have the hole-in-one than a perfect game. Well, if it's a perfect game. Or not game, perfect it, game, but 300, sorry. Oh, oh and bowling. My bad, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to um, compare sports. I mean, it is effectively a perfect game in bowling, If you, but you know what I mean. I've never golfed. I think the hole-in-one, though. Just because, yeah. like, I don't know. They both would be pretty awesome, right? right? No question about it. Uh, we've got some stuff to give away in terms of bowling, correct, Eddie? That is correct. A two-hour bowling pass and then two tickets to the U.S. Open. Uh, the bowling pass are good for whenever the U.S. Open starts uh, 27th Sunday. through the 4th, right? Runs through the 4th, but I think this is exclusive to just the actual championship for the U.S. Open, and that will be on the 4th, a Sunday at Woodland Bowl, and it airs live on Fox Sports 1. And that bowling Very pass cool. is two hours, right? Yes. So you could... Get all your practice that you want and you're in, right? to 300. That's right. All right, we'll do that. We will do that, excuse me, next, as well as preview the AFC and NFC championship games. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day turns into a weekend edition focused exclusively on conference championship weekend in the NFL. We will scoop Seven and a half on the Detroit Lions. They are seven and a half point dogs on the road against San Francisco. In that same game, star running back Jameer Gibbs for Detroit finds the end zone as an anytime touchdown score. For Chiefs Ravens, Lamar Jackson as an anytime touchdown score. Travis Kelsey as an anytime touchdown score. But give me my Chiefs at plus 164 on the money line out right now. Perhaps you think that's just a bit outside. You know what's not a bit outside? Happy 90th birthday to the legend himself, Bob Euchre. Nice. Well played there. Well played. Um, all right. Bowling passes to give away. We'll do that first. Are we doing trivia style? That's fine. We'll go with Terry. Terry, are you a regular listener of the program? I try to when I can. You sound like a cool guy, Terry. Are you I from? Am. Hey, man, you went on. We were supposed to go on the Vegas trip together. <laughs> I'm going to Vegas at the end of February. Do you want to go now? Shannon and I are going to see you too, but you can come along. How's that? It'd be uh, instead of you two, it'll be us three. How's that? Oh, that sounds good to me. Or we three, I guess I'd say. Uh, Terry, I'll tell you what. We're not even going to do trivia just because you're cool and you said that we're supposed to go to Vegas together. I'm hooking you up. You're on your way to Royal Penn and Woodland Bowl for the Royal Penn Bowling Passes. How's that? That's good. Terry, we'll put you on hold. Eddie, we'll get all your information. Uh, let's round it out with Mister Three Hundred. 
Greg Poley joins us on the program. Greg, congratulations. This is what numbered game for you in terms of bowling a 300? No, uh, we hit double digits last night. That's 10. Come on. Are so, you serious? No, no, but Jake, Jake, there are guys that are way, way better than me. Like, I'm talking guys that, like, I know guys that have had 100 that are in, like, the like the 50s, 60s. Like, yeah, I'm – it was good. It was cool. It, it's been, like, 14 years. I took 10 years off of bowling, so so getting back into it. And um, and you, you coach know, really bowling, kind of right? I do. I'm the, I'm the head coach at Ben Davis. Uh, we uh, we're going to semi state this uh, tomorrow. Congrats! Um, the the boys have advanced. So one more one more trip to to uh, to head the state. But uh, yeah, you know, I figured I'd call in since you know the job of the show is to entertain, uh, educate. That's and right. Entertain. Now, what so, size? Uh, what so what, what weight bowling ball do you use, Greg? I'm at a 15. I okay, because I, I thought to get a 300, you got to have big uh, balls, right? To get a 300. Uh, yeah, right. There you go. Okay, so is there a specific secret, like when somebody, like an amateur bowler, which, when you're going for it, what, like, tell me your strategy. Uh, I mean, it's just consistency, making sure you're hitting the same line. The line's going to kind of, you know, show itself throughout practice and through the game. And the biggest thing for, for any kind of bowler is adjustments. And then I mean, you got the guys coming in, the, the professionals that are coming in this weekend for the U.S. Open, which you guys are a big part of. Um, those guys, like, you talk about being consistent. A house shot is kind of meant to kind of funnel to the pocket, if you will. Uh, so it makes it for, like, some of our, like, us hacks that makes it easier. But you talk about, like, guys that are super skilled are the guys that are going to be here at Woodland this weekend. Um, those guys, man, you, you, there's 39 boards. They're hitting the same board each and every time. And as the conditions change and oil breaks down and dries out, et cetera, uh, they've got to make adjustments uh, throughout. And those guys are super, super talented. Okay, last question, Greg, and a dumb question. If you got nothing but spares, what what's your score? Depends on how what your pinfall is, because bowling's just kind of a quirky way of scoring things. So if you were to get nine spares the whole way out, you get a one eighty. So it makes no sense, right? Because you're only one pin away the whole time. So it's three hundred versus one eighty. Do you have a uh, ring? Like, yeah, did you get a ring for three hundred any way along the way? Yeah. Yeah, so like the way it used to be was like every time you got a 300, they give a ring. And then I think, you know, during the changes and people got cheap and stuff, they said, you only get one per lifetime now. So I had to fill out some paperwork. They acknowledge it. Um, but, but yeah, I've got my rings when I was younger uh, and had that happen. So. so if you and I go bowling sometime, can you go nine straight strikes and then I get the 10th frame? And if I get it, we can tell people I did a 300? Well, uh, sure. I mean, that's fine, man. Remin- we, we don't reminiscent to- of my algebra <laughs> career, Greg. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. for what it's worth. Yes, sir. All right. Well, Greg Poley, <laughs> congratulations, man. Appreciate the Thank call. You. Congratulations on the 300. The pride of Ben Davis. Okay. Jimmy Cook, your picks for the Super Bowl. I know you're going with Kansas City, but go with your head, not your heart here. Your teams are going to be what? Yeah, uh, Super Bowl is going to be in Vegas. It will be the San Francisco 49ers and the Chiefs in a rematch of the Super Bowl four years ago. Okay. I'm with him. The Super Bowl, what year was that? Would have been the 2020 no, Super Bowl. I'm not. I'm, I'm thinking Ravens. Ravens and sorry, Ravens and Niners. No, I'm like going 13. with Ravens and Niners. I am not taking the Chiefs. I'm probably going to go 0 for 2 here. The Baltimore Ravens. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I, I really want Baltimore. I think Kansas City's going to win. I think Kansas City, just that offense is good. Uh, Kansas City and then the Fighting Motmans, baby. Detroit Lions.
I'm all in on the Detroit Lions. And I'm rematch telling you what, of the opener. It'd be pretty awesome if they win it. All right, we will recap all of that. Uh, may have Miles Turner on Monday. We will find out over the course of the weekend. But thanks, Razor Shines, everybody else for Jeff Schwartz, Kevin Bowen for today. And we'll talk to you. John's up next. And Frank Vogel going to join him on the program.